Someone, you're, you're you're me in this situation, and your feelings, your reaction. So okay, don't okay. forget to introduce the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Podcast. So I was at a party over the weekend and speaking with somebody and just catching up, and they asked me what I've been up to lately, and I said Bitcoin. And this was their response, and I wanted to hear everyone's reaction to 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 if this would offend you, if what you think, or if it's a mischaracterization of why you're in Bitcoin. Oh, oh, you can't s- wait for this. Okay, chasing that money, you've got your priorities straight. Whoa! <laughs> like, oh, like you've got your priorities straight. Okay, oh so how goodness. did they say that to you? What's so here, the tone of this is this is the issue. Is I worry. Uh, number one, I could just be misinterpreting the tone, but let's assume the tone is how it's read. It, how I read it, mm-hmm. that it makes it seem like perhaps the general public does not understand why people are in Bitcoin at all. That they think we're into Bitcoin for the same reason people. I don't know. They're just like, I don't know. It's a greedy thing, or it's a oh, I want to you know move up the corporate ladder and get paid the highest salary possible thing, and that that's the mentality behind Bitcoin, which I had never ex- I think encountered. There's a slogan of like, "Come for the money, stay for the tech." Yeah, or come for the money, stay for the philosophy. My my blood would have started boiling a little bit yeah. because I'm in Bitcoin for such like altruistic reasons. At least I feel like I am. And I would have just been like, you don't even understand what money is. Like, I would have just been like, you you are the freaking problem here. I'm the, the truth, solution. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> the, the, Give it to me again. What exactly did they say? I feel like we needed we needed okay. to dissect this. A they said, bit. Uh, "Sounds like you got your priorities yeah, straight." Oh, still like, chasing, sarcastic. still chasing that money. You've got your priorities straight. Have you considered now? I, so I feel like I know you a little bit, but have you considered this is more of a reflection on you than Bitcoin? <laughs> well, <laughs> they definitely misunderstand why I'm in Bitcoin. I've clearly not explained to the person why I'm in Bitcoin, and they've their lack of curiosity has never asked why I'm so, in Bitcoin. So apparently, <laughs> that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to say that because maybe they're projecting their own desires and and asking that is that they see Bitcoin as valuable, and that. They're chasing the money, but they just haven't found something worth chasing yet. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, I think um, I think that's pretty widespread. Um, like, if I had to put money on it, I would say that's what most people think: is that Bitcoin is just a speculative bubble. They don't see any purpose. I mean, you know, if, if they if they're ignorant about the ideas and principles of money, what else would they think? You know, like all they see is you know price going crazy and oh, hear about people making millions of dollars and the hype bubble and all that crap i mean yeah like if they if they don't understand any other use for it what else would they think it was for i still think it shows more understanding than most though that this is the other pri- problem is that <laughs> yeah i know, mean at least they know it we is are money. we are yeah. literally <laughs> trying to <laughs> stack sats so our behavior could be characterized this way is that we're just trying to stack bitcoin as fast as possible our priorities are straight <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they don't realize that we're not crony capitalists, that there's a difference between what Bitcoin is trying to do and someone who's trying to start, you know, a stupid uh, app that makes your life slightly more convenient. It's funny that one of the answers was uh, chasing that money, which is kind of what we're doing in Bitcoin. This is the problem. On a deeper level, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, like Steve, you said, uh, you're trying to find out the real. Well, you already kind of understand the real values of money. We are chasing to figure out the real value of money and why. We have money and what to use it for. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, one of Naval's tweets when you try to 
explained Bitcoin in one sentence, and he says, Bitcoin is a tool for freeing humanity from oligarchs and tyrants dressed up as a get-rich-quick scheme. So that's why people care about it initially. People want to get rich, but the incentives align that you get rich, but also overthrow for some people uh, tyrants and oligarchs and other institutionalized uh, structures. What, what is your guys' take on that quote by Naval, by the way? I think it was a brilliant quote, honestly. I think it's... There's I mean, many it, layers to why yeah. people are into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. On the well, superficial layer, you like it for the money. If you're more altruistic, then you like it for changing the world. Right. And so then you speak to people. If, if somebody just wants to get rich, you tell them, hey, buy Bitcoin. If you want to change the world, something deeper than... Looking to Bitcoin. buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Well, was this one of the tweets that he got is that in trouble for? The quote, though? Is he, I mean, he got a lot of heat for some tweets about Bitcoin. So a lot of OG Bitcoiners came after Naval for saying something. I forgot what it was. This was like oh, right. I remember this. Yeah. Um, I can't I think remember just, what it was. I guess was he was treating, really he was treating like Bitcoin like an app or something like that or like a startup. Well, I think that's what it was about. But um. Maybe it wasn't this particular tweet, but this tweet he said, or whatever he said, if it was a tweet or not, was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, the uh, one thing that's kind of off there is, I guess it is dressed up as a get uh, get rich quick scheme, but nobody dressed it up as that. You know, yeah, like so there's no central authority; it's just what it is right now. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I guess you could say Satoshi put the incentive in there that kind of builds on the greed of the miners. So I guess you could say that's in there a little bit, but you know nobody thought this was a get rich quick scheme. Nobody's advertising it as such, and I don't think any of the actual public people in Bitcoin say this is a get rich quick scheme. But maybe if that's because we're not hearing it anymore, we're only hearing the other stuff they're saying because that's just like not important to us to hear right. that it's going to go up like crazy. Yeah, I think um, just like the the person you asked uh, will ask. Well, you asked the question, right? And they gave you some answers. I mean, they think it's a get-rich-quick scheme. And I I think, like, people looking at Bitcoin, if they're trying to enter Bitcoin right now, um, they're looking at folks that got in early when Bitcoin was, like, 10 cents. And now it's at, you know, what, 7K, right? It took, took like, 10 years to do it, more than 10 years. But to them, it's like, that's a a get-rich-quick scheme right there. (laughs) I'm super conflicted by this, this whole conversation because I'm... I am morally opposed to the notion that I should not be permitted to get rich by using my wits and intelligence to research something and get into something. If I was really into knitting socks for frogs and I made a shit ton of money solving a problem and understanding the complex market that exists for socks and frogs and where those two items intersect... Yeah, I should reap the benefit of that. And I think that there is a capitalistic component to that. But at the same time, no one's pointing finger, or maybe there are people pointing fingers, but I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in Silicon Valley who's made money um, in tech or with the internet. I think they've utilized that technology effectively. And I just, I think that doesn't make any sense to have a problem with people getting into Bitcoin. And, and a consequence of being into Bitcoin should be permitted to make money. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think we can use the internet as an example. Like when the internet first came around, people were like, this is a get-rich-quick technology. Like there's people, remember the bubble, right? People were coming in here with Pets.com, all these different companies, and getting rich quick, like literally. And now the, inter- the internet has matured. A lot of things and technologies have grown on top of it, and we now take it seriously. 
I mean, we can see a lot of similarities to Bitcoin as well. I, I just feel like I don't like that the, the reason people think other people get into Bitcoin is because they want to get rich. And I don't think that's a real reason why people get into Bitcoin. It's a mischaracterization. Like, how do you really stumble across the first videos? How does this really pique your interest? I don't think anyone who comes into it get to get rich can't handle it for more than a month. Like, they'll be out so fast. Like, the only people who stay around no, for stay any around. period of time are into some sort of bigger cause that is not getting communicated to the public. I don't, I don't think they... I think a lot of people get like come in not knowing anything and then come out knowing a lot more and mature along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh part is shit coins are like all the all the bad perception of all, the altcoin and cryptocurrency market leak all over Bitcoin. Maybe you just thought you're talking about crypto in general. Yeah, and that's what he was talking I mean, about. That's, that's and that's what somebody's going to hear when you say Bitcoin. It's like, oh, all that crypto stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Altcoins are like Bitcoin's worst clickbait. Yeah. It's like attracting people <laughs> to the worst components of cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's like uh, uh, telling somebody about the internet and then sending them the. 4chan or buzzfeed or something 4chan, 4chan is really important for freedom <laughs> that's true wait have you like lied awake at night thinking of all the comebacks you should have said like oh i should have said this should have said that like oh i think it's i just need to explain to everyone like i'm in bitcoin because i'm an anarchist because like that'll help that'll make yeah. that'll make you seem much more <laughs> but I was no, reasonable <laughs> well, no, I'm, I do it all the time I'm I'm still worried for by the way can I have your number yeah, yeah. casual yeah I'm, I'm trying to collapse the state this is my new this is what I talk about at Christmas parties this 2019 Christmas and holiday season <laughs> so they don't think I'm in here to get rich I think I've, I've I don't have money but I've already bumped against the like limitations of like where, where that gets you as far as a fun life. And I think most Bitcoin people have. I don't think most Bitcoin people think that aren't actually chasing Lambos. I think we're all joking and that we are like smart nerds that are like trying to get something that's currently inaccessible because of our monetary limitations, not money as a goal in itself. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we're overshadowed, though. I think it is kind of come for the money, stay for something else. Sound oh. ones. Yeah, stay come for the, the sound money. Stay money. for the money. Yeah. Stay for the money in a weird way. I think we get overshadowed by the people that are just shit coining and trying to make a ton of profits. And people like us, I mean, there's this podcast here and there's like the podcast we listen to, but 99% of the stuff on the internet and it's just, you know, it is the people that are just here for the money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and you know, that's kind of a powerful part of the network effect and the fact that this thing will continue to move in hype cycles because of the nature of its scarcity. Like because its supply is perfectly inelastic, nothing else can move. So the price is the only thing that can adjust to people's perceptions and decisions. And, and because of that, like, I think, oh, crap, I forgot my point. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Guys, just remember, okay. just, it was going to be so good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Great point. You're we'll welcome. Just, let's just cut in here and edit in the. Oh my god, that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> the power of audio. You tell it so well. What, one thing I thought about that people might not like is that people don't like 
someone making money when they're not really providing a service to anyone else. Like to get to your point about it shouldn't be bad to make money. No, it's not bad to make money. But if you're making money while you're not giving benefit to the rest of humanity, then people don't they like don't that. They don't see it as well. And people don't see that yeah. Bitcoin really is so every, giving value every time to humanity. you talk about Bitcoin and tell somebody else about it, you're not being rewarded. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, your friend has told all their friends the network effect has come through and your the value of your Bitcoin has gone up. I think that we see this embodied on Wall Street. We hate Wall Street execs because they provide no service, right. yet make a ton of money. Yeah, no value to society. There is zero right. value, just, but they, they just... make a, more money than any other industry. Right. And that they industry, literally make the money. <laughs> they, they provide no service. They make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. And they are literally a thorn in society's side, but yet they are reaping the majority of the rewards. I think that this Christmas season, to pivot towards where where i hope or maybe think you were going um maybe we need to find a better solution to respond to that question so that yeah, when someone says um you know you're here for the money um how should we be responding to that what what what's the what's the super technical genius 4d chess response to this yeah i'm not gonna say it's i'm not gonna be super technical but i'm gonna say yes i'm here for the money Okay. And if you would like to right, know more, cheek. right, I'll, I'll tell you more. See, I, I'll go I, into Steve's um, argument mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, the money that we have right now is not really the best form of money out. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain to you how Bitcoin is actually a lot better. Mm-hmm. That's probably how I'd, I'll start off with at least. I feel like they're just a lost cause. They're not They're not thinking about money. No one's a lost gave up cause. on this hypothetical person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they see it from a... No just problems. the money that they're earning, it's a small part of their life. It's an important part, but they're not thinking about money in the same way. I'll add a, a wrinkle just to give you some more information. So this person is like an academic type, right? Oh, so I've got a perfect response to that. So the point is that like, oh, they think I'm chasing money, whereas they're doing a research yeah. thing. And it's the exact opposite. So, I'm researching all the time yeah. in my free time. Oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> just not money as you understand it. Yeah. That should be the response. Like you're you're here, you're just in Bitcoin for the money. It's like, yeah, you're absolutely right, but not the money that you want, as you understand it. Opens up the door to have an academic conversation. But I've I am not as lucky as you are that that the academic types would come and ask that question. I've got Nancys and Janices that would ask me that question. Nancys. <laughs> now, did the Nancy? How many Nancys do you have? Do you, do the, several. Now, did the Nancys and Janices miss? characterize your obsession with bitcoin as a greedy hobby yes and as an annoying um sideshow to their very important conversations of gossip girls latest episode um how was the latest episode it was actually fantastic my wife made me watch it i haven't gotten there yet i'm gonna download it I had a similar experience just last weekend, a girl I graduated high school with and haven't seen her for like 10 years or so. Um, you know, she asked me what I've been up to. I mentioned Bitcoin and I know I shouldn't have mentioned it to her. So, so for, for, forgive now. me for that. But no, she, she looked at me and she was like, oh man, I hope you sold. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> I kind of froze. Because yep. I didn't Sold know at what 20, to say. Bought at three. <laughs> but, but that is the exact same sentiment it's, it's that same that was said to you. It's a misunderstanding of what we're doing. That this is the real issue with our messaging is that we've not defeated this basic: we're money obsessed people 
there, there's something about the fact that we're attacking money itself and trying to fix it that people people just think they we can't explain it to you. Even saying we're designing a better type of money sounds like a Silicon Valley pitch of a new type of banking. Yeah. Right. That's, money is the root of all evil, right? So I think um, for an academic type, uh, type, what what fuels those type of people? Right. Is it like a moral type of thing or I'm just researching just to figure things out? I mean, we have to get down to the base of what fuels them as individuals, because obviously it's not about being greedy for money. I mean, what do you what do you guys think? I'm not really an app. I'm not an academic. I don't consider myself an academic. I'm kind of techie. I like to figure stuff out. But to academics, be, that's like a sadistic, to be perfectly honest, the masochist. Style. <laughs> I'm totally into Bitcoin for one reason, one reason only, and that's for the quantum computing discussions. Um, that's the only reason I'm here. So anytime you guys are ready to pivot, just let me know. I think academics um, derive a lot of their meaning and purpose from somebody else, like a top down. And then Bitcoin is kind of a search say. for truth. And we're all kind of coming to this truth through our own way. So you don't, I, think, I mean, it's just going to, melt somebody's brain some academic's brain to try and figure out bitcoin through that lens i think i think there's some truth to that and like as far as like an answer like the, the part of the problem is that it's a 50-hour answer that like the problem it's a yeah. series of lectures and courses and any answer an that answer long is very suspicious. It's suspicious why can't you explain can't yourself you? so quickly like exactly. you i feel like i'm being brainwashed watching yeah. a two-hour long explanation of how the fed works let me know? tell you about the history of the federal reserve which is important and, but it doesn't seem cool <laughs> um but uh in addition though is that i mean it kind of depends on what our definition of academic types is here but my personal experience and it kind of makes sense the way like higher education in particular is organized that i find they don't have any curiosity that they're more concerned with the prestige and the authority of the position like they're they're chasing credentials and perception in their field in fact like like academics like academia 120 30 years ago used to be about knowing many topics and like merging topics together and like over time over the century it is literally like completely divorced into isolated topics because people don't like it's even like threatening that this other professor in psychology is trying to learn biology it's like no that's i'm the biology guy like like it's really just kind of like a aggressive kind of power thing now because school has become for its own sake rather than how do how do we make sure that there are productive people in the economy at the end of this thing? But I, I don't want to give up on academics. I think academics are awesome, up, but, and also yeah. because we are in an academic mecca in Raleigh. Like, if there's anybody we should be convincing that can understand a complex argument for sure, and you know, it's the academics that are just everywhere around us in, in this place. I had a realization. I talked to you about this uh, uh, a couple of days ago. Why undergraduate students aren't into Bitcoin? It's always kind of been a curiosity of mine. But I think I've come to realize that it's because they're worried about how they look on paper and they're worried about their reputation. They're like anything that's kind of dark web, kind of tour network, anything that's not perfectly white hat. They just want to stay 
very far away from because it's they're not sure that it might be against the system. And I think college students are... They're afraid to be wrong. Yeah, and academics in general are way more interested in being perfectly white hat and perfectly in line with the system than they are with like a new intellectual curiosity or something like that. I don't know if that was a derailment, but... No, I agree. It's in the academic world as an undergrad, as a grad student, as an academic, you, you inherently at that time have trusted institutions. It selects for people who trust institutions. And I feel like in the early adopters of Bitcoin in general and Bitcoiners who are in it for the philosophy is there's, there's a distrust. Um, unless people just want to get rich, there's, there's a distrust and there's a questioning. And then once you come into a conversation and are challenging the institutional structure of anything, like just coming from an academic background, the peer review process in academia is ridiculous. It's just a good old boys club. You get into the best lab, uh, you go to a postdoc, and then uh, that name on your paper, it just uh, it's just a launching point for your own career. That's the way it goes. And um, so that could, that could, you know, plant the seed of some distrust once you see behind the curtain, and those people get out, you know. And so it's it's just one of those things where I've almost moved away from evangelizing, so to speak, with Bitcoin, because it's one of those things where you, you figure it out and you get it when you're supposed to. And I know it sounds kind of like super philosophical, but it's like when your mind is open to it, yeah, it that's like when the matrix, it is. like, I can't tell you what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. For sure. That's, that's one of the interesting things about Bitcoin is that like, like it can basically wait for the right time for things to happen. Like as long as it survives, it will continue to kind of prove its case and that it is a, a sustainable and new thing that cannot be ignored. And it will force people to actually ask that question, whereas it's easy to dismiss when you first hear about it. It's a little harder the second time when it's been seven years and you've heard about it ongoing and you've never stopped to even ask or look into it at all suddenly you go so what the hell is this thing that won't go away touches number of touches yeah yeah what if somebody has like an average number of touches it takes force you like get sucked in a little bit more for ads or like top of name recognition it's like seven times so yeah or and then if you need it if you you know you can't afford diabetes medication and you could buy it on the dark web for one tenth right. the price well, that's and immediately You'll, when you when you actually when you need, need bitcoin then you're yeah. like oh and then you've got a, a store a heart heartfelt moment story that shares and spreads it'll be there for you <laughs> um and there's also one thing like about this idea that like bitcoin has like a bad image bitcoin has never had a good image yeah like it, it's never it's never needed it and it continues to thrive in spite of it. In fact, I would argue that the image of Bitcoin today is better than it's been in the eight years I've been involved in it, after, like throughout the entire time. Like it was always just like if I talked about Bitcoin in 2012 or 13, like it was like, so which drugs did you buy? Like, right. you know, like or, or which ones do you sell? Like, like that was just that was just what it is. Like you didn't really talk about it back then. And I don't know of any time in which a normie would give me a, oh, I respect you and this seems interesting of a topic when I could bring it up. Like I'm, I was always fighting against a scowl or a look of patheticism is like, oh, you poor person. Like it was always, holy crap, now my standard is, you know, back at the floor and I just kind of have to shrug it off and be like, yeah, 
I mean, I get, I get you see it that way, but you know, time will tell. Im- <laughs> images are ephemeral with like yeah. this stuff, you know, like it goes through fate. People remember, oh yeah, like the drug days, but like 10 years from now, no one's going to even remember yeah. that stuff. Like, yeah. And then there will be this point where everybody has always been a Bitcoin supporter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when it's when it's okay. It's like, duh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, when you talk about these cycles, it's like uh, now I hear, if I mention Bitcoin, like, oh, what, what's this about Libra? You know, they'll, it's it's because <laughs> Facebook is recognizable. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're pumping it. Pump it hard. Uh, the, it's taking Libra on my mobile. <laughs> But yeah, it's like that cycle of, oh, the criminals use it. And now when institutions, companies start to be interested in cryptocurrency, that opens their mind to just the topic. And it's not just dismissive uh, immediately as, oh, this is just uh, illegal activity. And so it's like it's going to be this arc similar with uh, the ICOs where people got into ICOs. I know a lot of friends that were just try- on Binance going crazy. And and then uh, I told them, I was like, hey. If you're going to do this, just buy Bitcoin and don't do anything else. And they, and they learn, you know, you learn that lesson. But I think a lot of people who came in for the ICOs stayed for Bitcoin ultimately. So there's going to be those cycles where the net just catches those people it's supposed to catch. Maybe that's maybe that's our, our thing is that these these hype cycles, because they because they do like uh, appeal to people's greed, you know, like like these huge price moves. People come screaming in to throw money at it, thinking that they're going to double it. So it's like maybe maybe we come for the dollars and then stay for Bitcoin. Right. And I I want to double click on this academia thing uh, because it's just, it's just an awesome concept, you, you right? May, you may hit the back button. <laughs> double open, open. I want to zoom in a little bit <laughs> because it's, it's almost political, right? It's like now that I'm, I think about it even more, it's going to be really difficult to convince an, acad- you know, an academic to really get into Bitcoin. And um, I was reading this interesting mm-hmm. book. Um, it's kind of technical. It's uh, Anti-Fragile by mm-hmm. um, Nassim, it, Taleb. Nassim Taleb, right? Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin is literally the definition of anti-fragile right now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, no matter how many stressors and shocks or volatility throw, you throw at it, it's still there, right? And academia is kind of like on the other end. I wouldn't say it's fragile. You might, you might, you might describe it as fragile, but yeah. I think it's more of a robust type of system where it's just layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of just uh, bureaucracy and, um, you know, instant institutionalization on top of it. And just, it's just a massive monolithic system. And, you know, someone that's used to that, I mean, coming to the to realization that, you know, Bitcoin could be somewhat useful is like impossible. So now I get it now. I get it now. It's, you should just give up on that guy. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> um, Nassim Taleb is kind of a disgruntled academic. Like, well, I wasn't going to say like I, I was. IYI. Yeah, yeah. Intellectual yet. Idiot. Idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of us. Like, you know, I left academia. You left academia. Nassim Taleb left academia. Like, the really actual curious types in academia mm-hmm. kind of have right. left. Yeah, find yeah. no satisfaction and just moved on. Exactly. It's like the creativity in institutions. If you're not creating the money, if you're not raising the money to do your own research, then you don't have freedom. And that's what I learned in academia is, okay, you may have great ideas. If the government doesn't want to fund it, 
good luck having a career. So you have to like bend your own ideas into what uh, is fundable. But that's what makes it difficult inside these institutions. There's a lot of talking about bureaucracy and, and incentives and politics, just like any structure is going to have that. I mean, there's politics in Bitcoin as well. I mean, it can't escape that. I think politics is just human nature. But you want to be in a system that is as fair as it possibly can be. And I think uh, Bitcoin is is the, the, the fairest system that I've seen. You, so traditionally with revolutions, I've always thought or the academics <laughs> have been characterized as like fighting for the revolution. You know, they're normally on the side of progress. And what does it mean that this next one, they're not going to be on our side, potentially, they might be actively trying to delegitimize Bitcoin at every turn, you know? Wait, who's not, who's not on our side? Just academia in general, the oh. the colleges, the no. universities, yeah. the graduate schools, that they would all be oh, funded by the government to come up that's with arguments for every, why Bitcoin's bad for biology, why Bitcoin's bad for chemistry, <laughs> why it's bad, you know. Bad well, Steve, why, Steve knows why it's bad for biology. Why, why yeah. it's bad for anthropology. <laughs> like, there'll be any, any why Bitcoin is bad, regardless of your field, you will get funded at some point. I think that's kind of the nature of, like, I think that's historically consistent. Okay. Like, like academia, I think what, what we see is that the new academics, the new people who are curious and change the change, end up changing those institutions, they simply become the new academia that tell the history. Mm -hmm. But historically, academia has always been a weapon. It has always been a weapon of propaganda. The Earth is against... the center of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys need to know that. And if you're saying anything to the contrary, well, you... You're a bad I, scientist. You're a bad scientist, and i got a stake with your name on it. <laughs> well, I think that speaks to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's always been that way. And I think that the, the academics just switch after they've become institutionalized. Has it, you think this entire myth of the 60s being like this college supported by academia thing is just not true at all? Do you think that was like some propaganda they did after the fact to kind of convince us that they had not actually helped when they probably just stood back and did nothing? Can you explain that more? What exactly don't don't you get the feeling that, that all the like the civil rights movement, like one of the supporters was like academic types were supporting that movement? And the anti-war movement, or was and or is that a misunderstanding? And actually, no, I get they were that like, feeling get, too. We're, see, but I think it's propaganda. And the reality was, the academics were like, stop protesting, shot, stop shutting down the college, get back to class. You know, like wh whose side were they really on? You mean the students were for the this students movement? Students were definitely but for the, the civil rights movement yeah. and for um, okay. the anti-war movement. But were the academics, or was that like a misunderstanding that I have? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I think the academics were definitely on the side of the state. Okay. Um, and I think that's, you know, this is like Vietnam-ish era yeah, time, yeah. right? I think they the, acad uh, the schools actually reeled them in eventually, right? I think it was yeah. a period of time they just roped them all back in. Like, people just dropped out, and the... <laughs> The guys that stayed in line, they they finished school. Well, to, they would call in the military police and shoot students and kill them. State. You know, <laughs> they the state did not play around. When a war is happening, if you need to shoot some people, you will. Okay, <laughs> it was actually a one eight hundred number for that. Um, yeah. A lot of people didn't know. Um, it was one eight hundred shoot a kid, and that was the direct. Oh. I'm totally making this up, by the way. <laughs> oh <my laughs> and, the, and people would call the government to go to campuses and shoot students. I mean, this is common knowledge. <laughs> but how, how do you how do you get the national guard onto a campus? 
You call Seriously. someone, you say, hey, bring your guns, bring your ammunition, and we're going to need you to shoot someone. Yeah. Sorry, that's, that's... Wow, I think I... Oh, did we get separated wow. at birth there for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Took dog. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Took a dog. Sorry. Maybe there'll be like a new wave of professors, like a minority that kind of rise up and, you know, kind of make a movement. Like really good professors, kind of like Jordan Peterson. I was going to say, is this the intellectual dark web? <laughs> is there an actual place for them? Or I think they're, I think they're a fraud. They're like, you know... They they have identified a problem, but they haven't identified a, identified a solution for them. They just identified they're the saviors. The intellectual dark web. Wait, so Basically, they are yeah. the solution to the problem they don't no, know. No, they they have good criticisms, but they're not proposing like an actual solution. It's they're doing the standard. We want more dialogue. We want more debate stuff. Which uh, how can we take action? But the action is meaningless. It's like well, the action will be dialogue. You know, bring it bring up this discussion. With uh, academia and you know um, students and keeping them in line, can we maybe let's not use America as an example. Let's use let's let's use um, a country that's lost a war. Let's use like uh, uh, people are comfortable like Nazi Germany, Germany at the time, right? Nazi Germany at the time, did they have these problems when they were on the verge of losing? Did they have an issue where academia academia was basically still for Nazis? And then, even though they're losing, they stuck with the Nazis to the end, to the bitter end, right? Did, yeah. did that situation happen? From from what I know, yes. Um, I read some piece, uh, I don't know how long ago, but they were actually talking about how, um, like, everybody, because, like, when Hitler came in, a lot of people were, like, it was very exciting. Um, and... But there were a very small subset that were really concerned about how much he focused on education. And suddenly they had to do all of these like really strenuous and like like they were analyzing like what exactly are you teaching? Like they got incredibly controlled about what you could teach, what you could say and exactly what you were going to do. Like they started getting like this is what you're going to tell the students. This is what you're going to do. Um, and, uh, the piece was by somebody who was in the middle of that and was just talking about how unbelievably fast everything moved, like everything changed and like no one said anything. It was like, everybody was just like, oh, okay. And like, it was all just too comfortable to admit that there was unbelievable change happening and they were all losing their autonomy and actually teaching and exploring reality um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, the, the people, the free thinkers, they left, like they were getting the hell out of the country as fast as they could. Um, the people who saw that coming, in fact, I think this was actually one of the guys, uh, he was a professor and he actually escaped the country, uh, not too long after that. Like when he just saw that there was suddenly all of the edu- all of academia and everything was just immediately in, in like a matter of years was a monolith. And he was not allowed to teach what he thought, and he was just like, "This is get this. This is something really bad." And he got the hell out. So, nineteen thirty-three, the the Nazi Party institutionalized the Ministry uh, of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, um, which back when propaganda was still a good word. Back, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> Um, the, the, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the basically, um, 
they went into schools and ensured that German culture, amongst all things, must be treated thoroughly. And and this is in thirty three before the war had begun. Mm. This is this. To, imagine trying to, a political party bringing that kind of departments because that's what a ministry was, the departments into a school. You've got to be institutionalized at that level. You've got to have so many people believing and supporting or not willing to speak up um, for that to be institutionalized. And I think that speaks to where that was, but. Uh, bringing this uh, bringing this back to to bitcoin or back to academia at least um i i think that we 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 have too many differing opinions and we're living in a very different age in the sense that it's incredibly easy for your private opinion to be shared publicly with the internet and i think it would be a whole lot more difficult to institutionalize that kind of thought process in academia because someone could tweet or do a do a youtube vlog if that doesn't become criminalized soon well that's the thing just in turkey uh i don't know it was a couple of years ago the the regime went in and just took away the credentials of professors across the country thousands of people were just fired their their diplomas were seized they had no longer had jobs so uh and i don't know what criteria was used to identify those people but that's the thing i think uh uh, governments are, are realizing that you have to go silence first and then replace replace with people who are going to tow the company line or, or else. And that, I mean, going back to Bitcoin and I mean, these people's livelihood was taken away. Who knows? And probably maybe their bank accounts receipts. I don't know. That would make sense also, or at least frozen. So, I mean, going back to Bitcoin, that's one of the incredible values of it. You just never know because Turkey was this bastion of um of enlightenment connection to the middle east you know it's in central asia the it's in europe and and um and asia in istanbul and then it just totally took a swing you know uh with with erdogan coming in and you just never know when that kind of ideology is going to come up it can seem seem calm seem uh, pleasant and then and then everything's taken away so it's just one of those things where um regardless of the trends they can always change and whether an institution or you're part of the group they can come and uh, and take you out uh, just as a, at the drop of a hat yeah i think we underestimate how many academics are censored as far as their ability to even talk about geography like if you talk about the the nazis at some point germany was saying that austria belonged to them and then at some point if you if, the idea that Austria did not belong to Germany was treason. Like you couldn't even bring up that concept that this other country that was autonomous right beside you actually was rightfully Germans. That's no longer tolerated. Turkey has the same issue where uh, the idea that Kurdistan doesn't might not belong to Turkey is completely unacceptable or that there's some other territory they're trying to annex. You can't go to Russia and be like, oh, Crimea is not Russia. That wouldn't be tolerated. And those are just examples of geography, which is not something the U.S. particularly has. But there's some equally important things that you're not allowed. You're not even allowed to think about. You can't even even conceptually think like, oh, should the America not be in you know, should the government not spend trillions of dollars, that sort of idea. Like, it's so ingrained that it's just what it is. Yeah, I'm going to try to give a little bit of hope for academia and try to bring this back to Bitcoin. It, I think it'll be very interesting 
in the future between the economics departments and the computer science departments because the economics departments for sure are not going to recognize Bitcoin. But the computer science departments, if they don't recognize Bitcoin, then that's kind of like... They just get left behind. Well, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, the best computer science departments are going to because it is a breakthrough. I mean, this is like a breakthrough in computer science. And for that department not to recognize that is to really like, you know... And plus, also that with this permissionless innovation, I think there's going to be so many apps and like so many businesses and programs being built on Bitcoin that the the universities are going to have to recognize it eventually. So I think it'll be you know, I think it'll be, turn into a fight between um, economics and computer science departments. Maybe I also wouldn't write off the economics people completely because they they're also kind of these weirdo and <laughs> there there are a couple anarchists in economics that are like. They they do like Friedman stuff, but they're more open to like experiments. They just love to see. Some, I mean, they love their curves, their theoretical models. So any weird experiment run in real life, they'd like to watch it just for funs. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think that's an interesting point about computer science is that there's no way for them to ignore it, and yeah. they're also going to be brought in like purely from the the amount of capital it's securing like standpoint like if we go through another hype cycle whether or not they consider it like personally like an interesting technology they'll never be able to turn away from the fact that you're looking at a multi-trillion dollar asset that is a decentralized network you know like like they have to look at it it's, it's literally like you know being in computer science in 1999 and then just pretending the internet doesn't exist it's like, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about computers. <laughs> and I was going to so. say it's like ignoring uh, portable computers. It's like it's like it's that huge a transformation that now a computer yeah. can be anywhere at the time. If you don't keep expanding the possibilities of what you can do once computers are exchanging value between each other, that's where all your – or a, a huge portion of your research into cutting-edge stuff should be right now. What can you do with that? Yeah, I was in uh, – so I have a master's in computer science. And um, computer science is heavily lagged behind real world, um, you know, what happens in the real world. This is like 2012, right? Wow. Get my master's. And I'm telling, you know, professors, I'm like, hey, I want want courses that will teach me how to build an app, you know, for an iPhone or whatever. They do not have anything like that. They're teaching me like, you know, SQL databases and relational stuff, which, you know, can help with the back end stuff. But in terms of the strategy and architecture behind an actual modernized app, they didn't have people that could teach me that stuff. And I could only imagine with Bitcoin, which is... 2012? Yeah, 2012, yeah. That's, that that sounds <laughs> that's right crazy. to me, though. Like, I've, yeah. I've heard other computer science people complain about the classes they were forced to take and, like, why am I relearning this programming language? Right. They, they feed you a lot of older stuff. You know, and I guess they have to vet everything and certify courses and but stuff like I think that. that's part of the issue is that yeah. there's so many like what are you gonna teach you teach like oh yeah. i'm gonna teach you angular but then like nobody uses that right and then it's you know like what for like the the stuff they teach in college is stuff that's been solid for like decades it's definitely lagging right it's a lagging indicator for sure but i i used to get upset with that too 
But then I kind of realized, like, dude, at least they didn't teach me something that, like, Flash. Like, what if they taught Flash, you know? Like, some yeah. technical colleges taught Flash, and then, like, Steve Jobs basically eliminated Flash from everything. Right. And then now Flash is useless for you. Wow. And But colleges never adopted teaching Flash, mm -hmm. at least a four-year degree once. It's too cutting edge. Because it was right. too new, and I think that was the right call. Yeah. But you never have, like, a language like C or Java. Like, they're so ingrained now that it's a safe bet to teach it and there's like the value of the uh, like some of all the curriculums that have been made so i can i can kind of see it but yeah you are left with like kind of a gap there right. because it's lagging behind and you you feel that you're not you don't have the skills needed to like actually like maybe get the job you want or, right you know do you think they yeah. don't teach people how to make front ends of applications almost intentionally like people if you can make a front end you can do anything on your own you can be an entrepreneur but if you don't know a front end you're just an you're just a plug and play employee it's like you're working on this now you're on this now and you can't do that last mile of making something people want to use i don't i don't think that's teach, true though. they teach front ends they, they do teach front ends they don't teach front end frameworks Okay. So, I mean, you can, you can do CSS and HTML. Could, could you clarify that? Uh, so, yeah, they'll teach you CSS and HTML, but they won't teach you a framework. Like, they won't teach you, like, Vue.js or React. Okay. Maybe now they might do it. Maybe in 2019 they might do that. But when React was first coming out, they're not teaching React. They're still teaching you HTML, CSS, pop-up, you know, Dreamweaver, <laughs> Dreamweaver, mm -hmm. and, you know, build your, build your, your, your website from there. Um, but I had a question for Steve because I, I think, Steve, you were actually pretty close to this process yourself because you were actually teaching a Bitcoin course, right? And, um, well, I was supposed to. It never really got going. But, but yeah. you, were, you were, I mean, yeah, I you, were, there. you were there, right? Yeah. And um, I'm curious to see what, you know, the faculty and, you know, the, the institution thought yeah, about I was, it. I was curious, too. I never really got around to it. I, I got the sense that the administration was not so happy about it. I mean, the weird thing was, was um, one of the assistant deans of Wake Tech, the community college actually came to this meetup and that's how that got started. So there was somebody up in the administration that was interested, but I just got weird. Um, you know, nobody was really promoting it. They told me I had to promote it on their own. I didn't, you needed like a champion in the, in the, in like wake county yeah like wake tech and think you just didn't have that yeah i think that's just like why that didn't happen but it's still what happened i'm still listed on the uh the website as you know a potential course if anyone's interested so but i, I to your general point or to the general point i think universities are like very hesitant for what we've been talking about to publicly list a course on bitcoin they'll they'll put a blockchain in the name and especially if it's IBM supported Hyperledger blockchain, right. yeah, you know, yeah. but I don't, I think they're very hesitant to put Bitcoin in a, um, in a course title. What, one thing though, that, uh, related to what you guys are talking about before with the newer programming languages, I think part of a problem there is professorship. Like to be a professor, you have to kind of like get a PhD and you have to spend a lot of time, like five or six years with one programming language. You know, so if like you can't really be a professor and also be an expert in a programming language that just came out because you've spent your whole career on these three or four like standard programming languages that have been around for a long time. So I think it's I think that's kind of a I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a 
time preference thing. It's kind of like if you're in an industry and programming languages change very quickly. I mean, well, what's the average lifespan of a programming language? Like two years? I mean, not not like C or Java, but like I guess we. I think it takes like a, a decade a before question. it even really gets out there for people to start using it in a mainstream way. Like, I guess that's true. But I've just okay. So I started off in Java. Two years later, I was doing C. Then I was doing C plus plus. Then I was doing MATLAB. Then I was doing Python. Then and it, I'm always just. I was always having to change the programming language I was using every two years, just depending on what the most popular one was. Well, or what but you were doing with it. I guess it depends what like you're doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. They're all good at certain things. Right. right. I guess that, that was part of the problem was I was changing what I wanted to do every <laughs> two years. <laughs> Is that standard in, acad- in uh, computer science that to get your PhD, you're going to sp- specialize in one language? Well, I mean, you you got to specialize in one topic, right? You got to write your dissertation. Okay. And no one's going to use multiple. No, I mean, someone might use two languages, but no one's going to use like five different languages to write their dissertation. The language is a means to an end. <laughs> okay. You, you rarely, I think, yeah. you just learn the language. So the, the language is just expressing theoretical concepts in computer science. Yeah. Okay. And I think the I think that kind of actually kind of like makes sense naturally that it would lag behind, particularly because computer science is something that is like literally on a rocket ship at all times like like new stuff hits and it spreads like wildfire if it works um so like i think just the nature of it like we see and start using stuff well before the broad scope of people have any idea what the hell it is like like the the app spreads faster than the two developers who know actually how to build the app Mm -hmm. kind of thing um and uh, and in that same sense, you have uh, like like for like with Bitcoin, um, like I do know and I see a lot of uh, uh, like courses and stuff about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin on like the like, I, like I've taken numerous ones on like Coursera and like uh, uh, what is it, iTunes U and like a bunch of these things like they're just like Stanford classes or something like, you know, recorded. And um uh, I'll just kind of watch one and have one on in the background every once in a while, but it is definitely, it's definitely one of those things that there are certain schools that can afford to just immediately jump into that, and then they, they're the ones that like you know kind of dip the toe in the water, but like the average school just doesn't have the resources or the, um, I guess the desire to go hunt for a new professor or learn some entirely new course or something like that. Something occurs to me that one element that computer science and Bitcoin share is that it is maybe the most permissionless of the academic fields in that academia can't pretend like it controls computer science because they're, you know, 16-year-olds in Russia doing awesome things, you know, that they can't, they're they almost – they're participating, but even more so that they're participating, they're, they're observing something that's just happening and having to report it back to other people. Yeah, I just this past week and maybe to like transition a little bit here, I think the permissionlessness nature of Bitcoin, we are just starting to see like how important this is with all of the developments that are going on with Lightning and with other things. I think it's going to be overwhelming in a little bit. Like right now, we still might be in the place where companies are putting out more products than Bitcoiners, but I think pretty soon we're going to see more 
uh, programs interfacing with Bitcoin than like anything else. Just because like the parallel, I mean, per, if you have to have permission to work on a system, it restricts kind of the parallel processing. But with Bitcoin, since it's permissionless, this parallel processing is just going to like grow. It's just going to be so many things being done in parallel. Uh, one thing you said about the um, like kind of computer science can't like the academia can't really pretend they're in control of computer science. Is it that's actually like when, when you said that I immediately started kind of thinking about the nature of markets and stuff. And like when you have barriers and how you how you source why a market is no longer serving a customer. Like like where do you look when healthcare starts just not like charging 20x and not serving the customer and not caring? Um, and in that context, like the computer science is the one that there's no space between like, like you can put walls up around biology and chemistry, like from like a mental framework, like point of view. And most importantly, from the distance to the product, to the actual production of a thing in the market, computer science, you're sitting in there in the, on the computer, learning something in the midst of production. Like you can't separate from the actual market. The product is the science, um, and like code is an, is immediately a product. The, the distance between learning how to code and creating a product or solving a problem in code, you can't. There's no way to divorce that from its from its market, um, uh, which is really interesting. And like in combination with that, and like you said, kind of the gravity of Bitcoin and the permissionless network that it's going to be there's no way i guess something like that picks up steam um you you won't be able to make an app while ignoring the fact that all you got to do is call a library to integrate with bitcoin you know like that that all these other developers like the the speed with which it can just be everywhere um is too easy i guess you could say the, the amazing thing about permissionless is we live in a time where people are just shutting down dialogue and saying no like crazy. And Bitcoin, you cannot say no to people using Bitcoin. That it is, you know, if you cooperate with the protocol, the protocol can't say no. And I think that is really nice. Um, yeah, you can't say no. I mean, if no, you just YouTube log says, on, don't upload that video. No, you know, yeah. everyone just says no all the time. Says, oh, you're not a member of society anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> Bitch, I run BTC go, pay server. <laughs> go, go hide under a rock. You, you don't exist to us. You're dead to us. But Bitcoin, you just can't do that. So are we being realistic here? People building apps on top of Bitcoin, like, I need some examples. <laughs> Like what? What are people doing today in terms of apps on top of big? I mean, like, like Wasabi, or like, mm, like what is it? That's a wallet, right? Wasabi's yeah. a wallet. I guess wallets are apps. I'm thinking like like apps happen at. I mean, yeah, obviously you've got like that sort of integration and stuff as far as like what you can do with like base layer Bitcoin, but like Lightning is the application layer in my yeah like right. like. Well, yeah, the consumer app. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one, the one that yeah. you're going to more think of as applications, like sure, sure. particularly from like the kind of normie perspective. Sure. You know, Light Night happens on Lightning. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. you get like the games with the the bounty hunter things and the yeah, you know yeah. all that good I, stuff. Uh, what's uh, what's that? The the chat app 
yeah. now they're encrypted chat now on lightning um, and I think as soon as you start integrating like as soon as you start working out the infrastructure and laying the groundwork for a payments network like lightning and you what you end up having is like always on servers that can now attach anything to a packet so any kind of data market can have some sort of like, like decentralized like IPFS becomes possible in the sense that everybody wanted it to be possible, but there was no infrastructure there before to pay a cent for, you know, uh, a minute's worth of a megabyte on somebody else's computer. Um, whereas suddenly after you lay out the infrastructure for something like Lightning, now it's just like you've Trojan horsed your, your bootstrapping problem for all of those previous decentralized network ideas. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the initial programming on Bitcoin was going in a good direction, but then uh, the black space became an issue and price and the economics ceased to work. And that so that was one issue with trying to continue on chain. Lots of the people then decided to go create altcoins just rather than trying to use their project and adapt it to Bitcoin. They're like, well, the simplest thing is to create our own protocol and give that a shot. That seems to be at the time that everyone thought that was fine or most people did. And then that failed, and now we finally got the Lightning Network, which is our first um, sandbox to really start building applications again. But there, there's been this rough period during the bear market that not 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 much stuff was happening publicly. It was all behind the scenes, if if anything. So, uh, so Lightning. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole where I crit criticize Lightning again, but. <laughs> I Sorry, think, I might go partly there with you, not all the way there. <laughs> I do think um, it's good that we have lightning. It's a good thing. Um, the only thing, the only problem I have that I just want to state is that I feel like it was meant for payments, not really for an app that's you know shipping data really fast so you can use it. I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean, wait, what do you mean by shipping data? So, you know, with an app, you know, you're building like servers, clients and servers, and they're interacting with each other, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Lightning, we're kind of like shoehorning or forcing Lightning into an app, you know, model where all it's doing, it's, you know, clients and servers talking. And we're kind of, I guess, forcing Lightning to be what, like an arbiter or a moderator, like a, what it, well, see, I don't think, like, if, if you don't need payments, like, if it's not, like, a payments application, you don't need Lightning. Okay. So, like, it's, like, there's no reason to build on top of it if you don't need, like, you don't need the security of Bitcoin if there's not a huge trust problem, if there's not an area where you're going to need to quickly and objectively settle disputes, or where you need, uh, and you won't do it on Lightning if you don't need, like, a, you know, some sort of decentralized key, um, like that's one thing that um, I'm seeing a lot, which and that I'm particularly like personally excited about is the idea of using your Lightning public key as a means of communication and logging into things. Like like that's a fucking great idea in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then obviously like very quick or micro payments. Like if you don't need any of those things, you don't really need Bitcoin or Lightning for it. You know, you just need the internet, like which build the app kind of thing. Do you want to talk about that using Lightning to log into things? I don't. I don't know a whole lot about it except that like I'm super excited and that it makes like something like. Does anybody know what Squirrel is? Yeah. Um. With uh, Steve Gibson. Um. In fact, he just dropped not too long ago. I haven't I haven't listened to it. It's only like a couple weeks old. 
um, a uh, like a full episode and like like breakdown of Squirrel, and it's just a like you have keys on your phone, and um, uh, when instead of getting a put in your username and password or anything, they give you a QR code, and the QR code is attached to the URL and a unique identifier. And you basically mix your key, you scan it, mix your key, and then send it. They know exactly who it is, and you log in. But you never put any credentials on the computer. You use your phone. So your keys stay on your phone, and you're not even logging in with the device that you're using. So you can go to, you can literally go to a malware, a computer that you know is just chock full of malware. And as long as you don't plug your phone into it like an idiot, like you just scan and you can log in and the computer has no information. Saucybuxombeauties.com is totally accessible to you if you use that, uh, that service. It, it's also, though, a pseudonymous way to log in, too, because like your, your identity can be consistent across services if you want, but it's not at all. It's not like you're giving the same username to everybody. You're logging in with a hash. So nobody even knows, like YouTube can't know that, okay, this is the same public key that's signing in with Twitter because you're signing, you're not, or because you're uh, performing a hash. Um, but if you wanted to prove that this is my Twitter account with my YouTube account, I can do it if I choose to. Um, and, and your Lightning Node has a public key, right? So you're basically just using that. Exactly. You in. would simply replace the public key in this system or the, a private key in this system with your Lightning one and then, you know, boom, you're off to the races. And you've completely changed identity on the internet. No, I think that's a that's a very interesting uh, use case. Um, you know, my 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 question and concern really came from you know folks who constantly come up to me and say, "Hey, Lightning is basically what Ethereum was supposed to be, where it was supposed to be a supercomputer I'm building a you know a stateful database um, <laughs> on top of it. I'm using it to you know process graphics." And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I think, I mean, Lightning is this peer-to-peer -peer transaction thing. Right. So it's yeah. not, um, I mean, I was thinking about what you said with the whole server, you know, data transmission. Lightning to me is, I mean, so Bitcoin kind of suffers from that data transmission problem. And that's why people are trying to be keep the block size small. But Lightning is just a peer-to-peer -peer thing. It's not really like a client-server thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. I also think what Lightning enables uh, you to do is to buy any digital good or service. Uh, that's what it's doing. So right now we don't have the idea that you would pay one. Well, we do sort of have the idea, but we don't know what sort of like, you know, if you pay five sats for a download, you pay. It, it is that micropayment thing. So the, the actual infrastructure is going to look very traditional. It's just for the first time you're able to pay for things. Um, whereas in the past, there was no way to pay. Yeah, there's like, cause, cause what it does is it integrates like a, a, a public private key system and payment system into a communications protocol. Um, so like, it, like when I think about it, like what might we see on lightning is like, okay, what service do we want to provide that you would just provide normally on the internet, but that, you know, you have to rely on a certificate authority to prove who you are. Well, now you have a reputation with your public key and you can always prove that. And yes, that's very different from an authoritative one, but it all, this also presents an easier way to like, if you have a 10 year great reputation based on your public key, everybody knows that it's still you. Um, that if you want a web host, you don't have to sign up with banks. 
Like if you don't, if you want to provide a, a medium blog or whatever, it doesn't really matter what country you're in. You make a presence on the Lightning Network, get your public key up with your, you know, your your signed cert or whatever, and accept payments over Lightning in exchange directly for every megabyte that you're moving through your system. There's no more payment processors. There's no more certificate authority in that situation. You're trusted in you can actually extend where we need decentralization or where there is a market need for it because of some uh, overzealous authoritative government or whatever it is. The pressure, any sort of market pressure, it's not the barrier to now creating it because we have a decentralized payments infrastructure has just 90% of the barriers is gone. Now it's just learn a little bit about software, set up your own, like, it's kind of crazy. Like I've just been giddy about BTC pay server since I got it up is that I just have like a full shop and store and payments processing thing. I can accept multiple currencies and it's just me. Like I, I downloaded square, but I am square, you know? Yeah. I, I, it's hard to explain this concept, but you know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. The internet up until this point has been one long free lunch paid for by advertising. Yes. And so our, our ideas are have, are severely limited for what the internet should or could look like by the fact that the only people footing the bill have been the advertisers. And now we're going to be paying for everything. And some services will go away completely just because we're like, you know what? I like that when it was free. I'm not going to pay for it. And others uh, might become more expensive and others might become cheaper. But it is going to completely change the internet just because we will be – we will be sending value to someone else to give us the thing they have that's valuable instead of this middleman of advertisers judging how much value is being exchanged. I think I think we'll see a bit of a divergence. Like I don't think the old system will go away just because it's kind of in our nature to want the free version. But I think we'll see a parallel internet that has a different degree of quality, a, a, a different sort of like reputation like idea um just a concept of reputation and um reliability um and uh, a different level of curation and people think about browsing it differently but that there will be one that is based on advertising and everything just like we're used to everything's free and you just kind of cruise um but there will be a less noise uh, more signal like kind of more highly curated and specific to use cases that the free ad version really sucks at providing uh, either in quality or quantity or in censorship resistance. Um, and that it will just be a second internet that serves a different Honestly, set of Honestly, this reminds, JC's going to hate me, but it reminds me a lot of Twitch versus Twitter. <laughs> because there's, on Twitch you send two cents to send a tweet. So therefore you don't have ads. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about this. Yeah, it's BSV. It's BSV. It's, it's, they print. And, and they this is also goes back to what chain, you were saying about so it's ridiculous, but um, yeah, sending it's, data. Decent right. idea. I don't. I don't understand yeah, from a technical perspective, but it's it's interesting to me. Yeah, it's like you might hate Craig Wright, but it's what they're doing is interesting. I'll switch so, to that because I cares. Yeah, it, it costs two cents to send a tweet. Expensive. Yeah, but you know, might get more high quality tweets, and I don't like that I can't remove ads from Twitter. So, I, I don't and know. they're claiming I don't know the techniques behind it, but they're claiming that it's all every tweet is on the blockchain. On at yeah, least that's a DSVs. terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. But 
Yeah. I mean, it's a two terabyte block. That just means that Twitch will only ever be a couple of thousand users before (laughs) the whole thing gets chugged out. (laughs) I just had a crazy idea. What? Yeah, (laughs) stupid. But what if? So I've been thinking a lot about Tether and a lot about these stable coins, and they just—it seems like they're taking off. Like I don't know if you guys have heard any podcasts recently, but it seems like. There's more volume on Tether now than there is on Bitcoin. And I'm wondering what if the future of Lightning Network, and you guys are going to hate me for this, uh-huh. is um, like Lightning starts doing Tether. That's fine. And so then it becomes like payments are just done in Lightning Tether instead of Lightning Bitcoin. Well, I would say that um, it's very bread and woods what you're describing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, see. Well, we're going to settle is, in Bitcoin, but we're actually just exchanging stupid fiat. <laughs> well, Lightning is um, uh, it's agnostic, right? Like it doesn't care the asset that it's moving. It's like like you can have Lightning on Ethereum, Litecoin, like like any any cryptocurrency you want. Like it's just a contract design, so um, you can easily branch between a sidechain or Ethereum network. If somebody wants to develop on Ethereum, like, you know, Lightning Network, you can easily do that. Um, so technically, depending on the architecture of Tether, you could have a Lightning Network on Tether and you could bounce back and forth between Bitcoin and Tether. But I think it's indicating that that is actually serving a market uh, uh, market need is that it's really fucking annoying to move dollars. It's not hard to move Tether. Like it's it's fiat mobile. Like it's 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 fiat that can actually move and make it across jurisdictions, save for all the limitations that it still has because it's backed by some single institution. But it's just so much more fluid. You can't do. You cannot do what people are doing with cryptocurrencies, bouncing from exchange to exchange, if you're going back and forth from dollars. Like, imagine trying to sell on Binance and then arbitrage to Poloniacs and uh, get the money out, and you didn't have Tether. Like, no, you couldn't do it. There's no, it's a, it's a four-day move of money. But with Tether and Bitcoin or Lightning, you can maybe do it in a matter of a couple of minutes, seconds can't, even. Can't, that use case, can't you use Lightning and Bitcoin just alone? Well, no, if you're arbitraging the Bitcoin price across oh, jurisdictions. Okay, you're arbitraging the Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So Bitcoin's $100 more on uh, Binance and $100 less on Poloniex. Mm. You have to move dollars from one place to the next. I just don't know what, what the stable coins succeeding would even look like. Like, they're going to be worth a dollar, and you could print as many as you want, just like regular fiat. Daily active users. And you can churn the dollars with no fees because they're created by the exchange, so they don't have to charge themselves for creating a huge volume supply. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I, I think it's, I don't think there's anything real about it. I don't think success. There's, it's, I don't think it's possible for stable coins to succeed. But the, they're, they're exchange, that boring and unimportant a product that oh, they. No, I don't agree. An exchange can't print. They can't print. A ton of tether though, because they would have to back it up. By a yeah, dollar, they right? they can only print as much tether as they can to keep it, you know, tethered to the dollar. So they could, you know, they just have to kind of resemble what the U.S. dollar is doing. Do you think they could churn as much volume as they want? I think, and not charge themselves a fee, just churn as much volume. 
What do you mean, like fake volume? Fake volume, like yeah. just make fake tether or whatever. Make fake, yeah. Make well, fake think, trades and make your volume on your exchange look huge. Make uh, tether its use seem big. Well, if it's your own exchange, then yeah, yeah, you could recycle your own, yeah. your own, your own money because it's um, an exchange cartel running yeah. these stable coins. <laughs> yeah, uh, these these are it's an exchange cartel. Libra threatens their stupid cartel of a worthless product. And they've got a PR campaign in this period before Libra gets released where they're brainwashing us to get on board just like they brainwashed us for grin. No, I see. see I think I, I think very differently about stable coins is that I think we're seeing a recurrence of the natural market state of uh, of currency, um, particularly like when you deal with like something like the gold standard of banknotes, where you have a note that is redeemed at a specific institution. And... It's because there is incredible mobility on the internet that you cannot get in finance, actual finance. But these blockchains basically give a degree of security and a, a degree of security that's enough to move and store money. But it is 100% backed by a specific institution. You buy Coinbase dollars. You, you buy Bitfinex dollars. You buy banknotes of a specific institution which is what you saw at the end of the 1800s before the the real monopolization and the institutionalization of the federal reserve system where everybody was basically stuck under one note and you know monolithic set of rules and and, and reserve uh, systems so i think it's a i think it's a reversion back to an actual market in banknotes yeah, that's why I think the next um, stage for a stable coin would be is they would be incorporated into that, fract that fractional reserve banking, you know, system where, you know, if they need more volume in terms of, you know, they, I need to print more tether, you know, they, they hit up the Federal Reserve and say, hey, I need more money. <laughs> you mean you, they've got to hit up the tether reserve? Yes. Tether well. Reserve. <laughs> hey, that's what you want to call it, yeah. No, I'm I'm starting to um, agree with the guy here. I I think Tether and every exchange's stablecoin is the new 1800s private bank printing its own currency. But you understand they're all derivatives of the U.S. dollar. Yeah, they're right. still shitcoins. Yeah. They're but still in, in, the 1800s, in the 1800s, yeah. there were different so notes, though. So you're taking out a fiat, which is backed yeah. by nothing. And putting fiat on top of fiat is what you're doing. You're a sure. you're a bank note backing <laughs> something that backs that's backed by nothing. What, what, what you're not Turtles doing is you're you're, you're yeah. centralizing you're you're further centralizing the degree of risk because you're 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 making it specific to a single institution like Tether. I know Bitfinex is the one that I have to worry about. Coinbase dollars. I know Coinbase is the one that I have to worry about. So the the trust in that is based on my degree of the re or, or my assessment of the reputation of the issuing institution. But it is like an upgrade to shitty fiat because it's fiat that can do more and is less of a pain in the ass than normal fiat. You can do so more, how, but you've doubled your risk. Yeah, but how I've can increase yeah. my risk? Yeah. But I but I can do a lot more with it. Yeah. It depends how, on who you are, though. Yeah, but how can you do more? Because I mean current fiat right now you can use what uh, charles swab and move fiat really quickly right yeah, not quickly. well he, he's, he's talking about internationally yeah if if you use a digital like, we're a talking about moving numbers. from the u.s moving moving actual dollars from the u.s to china 
I I personally, maybe there is a way to do that easily, but I would not have the slightest clue how to do it outside of Tether. So if I was trying to get, if, if my exit at both ends was Bitcoin. If we're talking about a $5 transaction, I could maybe be convinced that Gene, you have a point. However, let's let's assume for the purpose of this transaction, this is a $15,000 deal. Mm-hmm. Um, if we started a timer from where we are at recording live in the Weaver Street market, mm-hmm. aisle seven, clean up on aisle six, don't go down no, there. No, we're in the uh, we're in the employees That's only casting nice. couch room now. Yeah, <laughs> true, true story. Upgrading <laughs> couch. I have no idea what that is. In case my wife's listening. Um, <laughs> TJ Maximus. Yeah. I do not understand that reference. <laughs> yeah. Good one, guys. Um, so let's say you're trying to move $15,000. And we're going to set a stopwatch for the moment that we leave here. And we're going to, uh, who do you bank with? Just go throw out a random bank. It's bank of America. Bank of America. Right. So we're going to go to the Bank of America. We're going to get your $15,000 in cash. And we're going to go to my state employees credit union. You're going to have to walk in, go stand on the line. Go to the teller. Good luck speaking to Janet. Asking for a withdrawal of fifteen thousand dollars. Getting the anti-money laundering paperwork. Filling out the paperwork. Having a bank manager come down. Talk to the bank manager about having to order that money because the branch doesn't carry more than ten thousand dollars. Waiting three to four days for them to have the money on hand. Then talk to the manager again because he he's forgotten. Fill out the paperwork because they've probably forgotten that, but maybe you kept the paperwork and you sped up the process. You walk out the door and you've spent three days trying to get $15,000. Then I have to go to my bank after we meet up. and then I, I have mean, to he could bank. write you a check. Sh- he could write you a personal check. Yeah, so, so absolutely. But then I'm taking the risk on that. Whereas if we're talking about actually moving money, not negotiable instruments... And, and I'm trying to make a distinction on the but fiat I'm here. I'm talking more into digital, not cash, though. Yeah, but like, if we're talking, if we're talking moving money, I think the the point is you're you're trading on Gemini dollars reputation when you go to the Gemini dollar. You're trading on um, the, the the local shitcoin of your choice. That is a reputation trade more than anything else. What is that exchange's reputation for fair dealing? You wouldn't go to, you know, scamexchange.com and trade on their stablecoin because you're likely going to get yoked by them. Yeah. And and I think the best example is to just think like Bitcoin arbitrage. It's the easiest way to explain it. Like if I'm going to like Poloniex is in, does anybody know what country it is? I think it's it's the U.S., isn't it? Poloniex is in U.S.? Weren't they? Okay. Um, What's, uh, what's. Right. Bitmax, whatever. Binance. Okay, Bitmax, Binance. Okay, Name whatever. Famous yes, any any of <laughs> them, wanted, any of them, really. Um, we're trying to move. We're trying to move from uh, one exchange to the other. If we are trying to move dollars to arbitrage the price of Bitcoin, our choice is to sell on Poloniex for U.S. dollars and withdraw to our bank, or sell for Tether and move the tether to the other exchange. How long will it take to withdraw to the bank to get it in your bank and then move it to, you know, whatever, BitMEX, I don't know, wherever the hell they are, move it to a, a bank in that country, probably an account that you now have to set up and then sign up with this other institution and then deposit. There is nothing about depositing and withdrawing dollars 
that is anything but frustrating, painful, and slow as piss. But if you are depositing and withdrawing Tether, it is exactly like doing any other cryptocurrency. The risk is that you have risk against a single institution that supposedly is backing the Tether, Bitfinex in this example. But you can do that in a matter of minutes. Nobody there is no way to do together. it even in the same day with dollar, like with actual moving back into the banking system. It's creating a cryptocurrency equivalent of something that can be redeemed in the banking system so that you never have to touch it because it's so slow and crappy. Even if you're talking about fiat and a check, those funds are going to get held. Yeah. yeah. And and you're not going to be able to use it unless you have a comparable amount that can that can act as collateral in your account, collateral in your account, yeah. In case that check bounces or in case your cash is bad. And cash they usually will make available immediately. But you've got to fill out a crap ton of paperwork and you've got to go and explain to some mid-level bureaucrat why you're not a goddamn terrorist every time you do anything for any kind of substance of money it's a nightmare I mean, banks are terrible I, I don't i still don't think it's arbitrage it's like it's such a weird specific example that your own there's an arbitrage because of regular regulatory differences between capital controls between these two jurisdictions you're going to use this technology to get around it you're backed by the u.s dollar like this is not it's not sustainable trying to arbitrage Bitcoin in South Korea when South Korea doesn't want you to do that America doesn't want you to do that who controls the actual currency I, I just don't think this is a real use case like it's a it's a gray market use case that's going to go away arbitraging Bitcoin in different countries you think it's going to get shut down the like sending tether from one exchange in one country to another exchange in another country you think that's going to get shut I mean, down when you I think it's ridiculous support, that they yeah. allow that Right now, if they do, it's just gray market. They haven't successfully stopped it. Yeah, if you file okay. a tax report and you describe that process to the IRS, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some red flags. I don't know. There's a lot of people who do it right now. Well, I mean, if, if I just... listed as trades. Yeah, I mean, if I just right. bought Tether, if I just exchanged U.S. dollars for Tether, that's... I don't know. Dude, that, that's not a taxable event. That's just like something that I bought. And then I can do whatever I want with that Tether. Yeah, but right. you're moving the tether to another exchange, though, right? Yeah, but that's just that's not so, a taxable no, event. So buying using U.S. dollars to buy tether is a taxable event. Moving tether from one tether account to another is not currently a taxable event. Wait, buying but, tether? But tether doesn't move. It's, tether is a dollar. Tether does move. So you have to. That's, wait, you have to pay capital gains on it. Uh huh. If it moves, when you Yo, sell it. What, when, no, when you buy it, that's a taxable event. Okay. Um. Wait. What are you being so, taxed? So. Though? so that's like, what I'm confused. What, what, <laughs> I love these conversations because what, what's amazing about it? Because I think you just asked me what is tax. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, tax? no. What the? What are you being taxed on? Like, if I buy Bitcoin, like I'm not taxed on the amount of Bitcoin I purchase. I'm taxed so, when I sell yeah, Bitcoin. So that's, you're claiming your basis, right? Yeah. Um, anytime you buy something, you trade something. It changes its asset class or changes from Bitcoin to, it becomes a taxable event. So I'm using the term taxable event to determine, or to use that as a classification to determine the um, determination of a basis. You've created now a basis in this. That's going to determine your taxable event for when you do make another event. Gotcha. You, you, okay. There has to be two points to, yeah. to calculate capital gains. And so maybe I wasn't clear and I apologize for that. But okay. the point I'm trying to make is you've got you to have a starting point. But the transfer from Tether account to Tether account yeah. 
is a is a transfer just like transfer of bitcoin to bitcoin you you're just moving money that's not a taxable and you know there's no capital gains there so the, the yeah, end, that's the why end, the end process though you know going through the exact uh flow of what you just described with the arbitrage okay um i use usd i buy tether i move it to the exchange to another exchange that i originally bought the tether on what am i now doing with that tether on that new exchange uh, you're just like buying another coin with it, or maybe you're just just keeping it there, like. No, yeah, in the in the scenario that like I was specifically talking about, like let's say there is a country that, for whatever reason, maybe maybe volume in the country or there's some sort of a bank lockdown as far as like can, being able to get money out. So suddenly there's like a two hundred dollar premium on Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, well, then you buy it in country A. Uh, uh, with, or excuse me, you sell it in that country with Tether and then you withdraw the Tether, move the Tether to a country that's got it at $200 less, you buy the Bitcoin back and, you know, you've bought 2% more Bitcoin at the end of it. But the, the purpose of Tether is just to bridge the different markets of Bitcoin. You're you're in Bitcoin, then you move to de- to Tether and then you move Tether to get back out of Bitcoin well, the real the beginning and the end is Bitcoin. Tether is just so that you can easily have exposure to the USD position. Yes. So whatever you want yes, to do, you can quickly get. One yeah, that's just one just example. Like the whole dollar. So like this yeah. is a, this is my position right now. I'm going long on the dollar. Yeah. And then I'm going to hold it here, and then I'm going to go back to Bitcoin. You know, like and shorting Bitcoin back in, would be a going like long on dollar. You know? Yeah, and putting it back in my bank account is going to be a headache. And if some yeah. some move starts happening quick. Like I can move tether in a couple of minutes. Yeah. I can't. It's going to take me forever and to withdraw it or deposit it back into the bank. Getting exposure to USD is a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. You yeah. think that the U- the USD is going to be allowed to be used as a tool to escape other countries' capital controls? That's it such a. Re- have to you're be, talking about the, There is nothing more controls. statist than the US dollar. Sure. And you think this most statist currency in the world? Is going to go around undermining other states successfully? They're just going to be like, to yeah, degree, come in and it? just, uh, just like do arbitrage. Cash? It's it's a matter of it's a matter of how they can be. It's a matter of what they can control. Can they control an internet connection? Can they control like what they have access to as like the citizens in that country? Um, the, here's, yeah, they here's, can put a chokehold on the banking system and not let the exact them get dollars out of the bank. Is they the other country we're trying to do this to? Korea, which is an advanced economy, we can't tell what to do because they'd be if we get too mean to them, they'll kick us out of Southeast Asia. If if they if we just start allowing ignoring their capital controls and flooding their country with tethers, they will not or no South Korea South Korea okay because South Korea has a if you look exchanges they consistently like have some of the more expensive Bitcoin they used to, but um if this kept happening. They would just stop trading with us. They would put uh, tariffs on our goods. Like it would cause a trade issue if we ignored the country's own efforts to do capital controls. Like the 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 government is not going to let Bitcoin co-opt the dollar and use it for our own geopolitical goals of financial arbitrage. Well, then maybe maybe they're going to talk to Bitfinex and it's but it's though. it's kind of that, this is it's, as I was about to say it's happening it's right happening. now. That's what they use it. That's what it's used for. But so also the arbitrage will go away. It's a temporary problem. Arbitrage eventually gets solved for 
And then what, what else does it do? You're, you're kind of talking about this very- Arbitrage is an ongoing process. Uh, arbitrage is never something that's completely solved. And when resistance is uh, in, like, like for instance, like in countries that do have like ridiculously high capital controls on dollars, um, where like you can't get it, like Venezuela, Bitcoin will have a permanent premium unless you can get dollars in and out of that country. Now the I, question is, are people clever enough to hide their IP address? Because what, you know, like if, if they're trying to manipulate or if they're trying to control and put capital controls on Tether, well, then what, how are they doing it? Are they uh, limiting IP addresses? Are they uh, making sure that nobody, are they doing KYC AML on every trade in Tether? Like, because it's, it's a matter of whether or not Tether is allowed to exist more than anything. Yeah, I don't. Now, if we're I, talking about it's not going to exist. Yeah, well, then yeah, it won't it's, work. It, it's anymore. absurd that it'll be allowed to exist, in my opinion. I think it's already dead, and they're just coming up with the legal justification for it right now. They're just not going. They're not going to go to trial until they've already won. So they're in the back room deciding how they're going to win, and they're just going to get rid of Tether. I question whether or not that's going to happen, just because it's growing so quickly and it's becoming a norm. We've got Gemini dollars, uh, USD Coinbase. Uh, we've got Tether, like, like it's becoming a thing because there is so much, I guess you can say the, the cryptocurrency um, ecosystem is so oiled, <laughs> like everything moves so quickly that the biggest point of pain is integrating with the banking system. And I think it's, I think they've already given it too much legitimacy. They've already said yes too many times to say no now and, and you know maybe they will but i, I don't know i, I think, i'm i'm kind of i lean the other way i think i think it's going to continue to exist maybe they'll try to put more control on it but i don't think they will outright be like oh you cannot have a dollar derivative on your institution i think killing i think killing the tether is not a high priority that the the fiat house is on fire they can't even get the inter, inter, you know, the the repo rate correct. Like they're having liquidity crises in the easiest thing in the world, a one trillion dollar reserve requirement, and there's no liquidity. Like they their house is on fire. They're gonna prioritize that, and then they'll do minor issues like the fact that their bed's not made, which is tether. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. All right, go ahead. Uh, there's a site um, called Stablecoin Stats, and it has like real-time kind of like volume like circulation and uh like price for all the stable coins and so just for some reference there's 4.5 billion tether in circulation 486 million usd coin usdc 236 million paxos which actually i'm not sure what that one is is that a stable coin yeah maybe it's their version of Dollar. True USD, 160 million. DAI, 55 million. No, there are a lot of stable. Coins. So there's a ton more right. tre- uh, Tether than anything else. Basically, Tether just dominates yeah, them all. Like Gemini Dollar is like 4 million. Oh, yeah, Gemini. That doesn't even count. Yeah. And st- yeah, stable USD. Binance USD is like 26 million. So, like, really it's just dominated by it's, Tether. It's yeah. all Tether. Tether is under attack at the moment. You know, by by the attorney general, like they're just getting the documents okay. now to so go. So you're after you're them. saying that they're going to shut down eventually. I I, I, I just saw that I can download a tether wallet for my phone. So I guess I could <laughs> withdraw tether from my 
exchange to my phone. It'd be like holding USD as a and then I can and then I can just send it to my friend in China. So, I mean, I mean, am I missing this? Like, isn't this a huge deal? Like, if people can have a pet's <laughs> feather wallet, I mean, yeah, and it's gone. You know, Bitfinex blows up. Like, of course, it's like risky, but. I mean that is crazy. I mean I'm starting to like agree with Isn't that wait, like Fedcoin a bit. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that I, is Fed yeah, coin. I think we're going to have Fedcoin. I think oh, yeah. USD is just it's just going to be tether. The way to kill Venezuela is doing the opposite of capital controls. It is actually getting dollars to the Venezuelan people. If you if you would just actually give them real dollars at the same time as their uh, monetary thing is inflation or collapsing then they'll be buying up stuff it'll it, it, that's the real way to like sow chaos in a place with capital controls is to get dollars to them yeah that's it's what the government just, just have them download a tether wallet It'd be easy I, I i yeah it is easy like honestly the u.s could probably get a database of every venezuelan citizen give them a thousand dollars each if they like you know do some sort of collective action against the government like these are our, these are good ideas <laughs> These are good ideas. What? Yeah. All right, how, how about this? The, the CIA is listening. I'm passing along good ideas to those taking notes. Give this to your supervisor. Are there? Does anybody know if there's any online stores that accept Tether for products? That's a good question. Because yeah, I, I could see that kind of kicking off a firestorm. Yeah, if of, I could save twenty percent on purse with Tether. I would be very excited. <laughs> Dude, I totally forgot about that this and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh did y'all see about the um new law in Greece that if you don't spend at least 30% of your income in their electronic like network like electronically in their system if you're doing cash, you will get a fine of up to 22% of your income. Greece and is they're a now third limiting country, and now, now they're now limiting like like used to be like the most cash you could get out was, and I'm not gonna remember the number, but it's like now like three hundred dollars or something crazy like What's that. What's the rationale behind that? Um, cash I don't know, terrorism, money laundering, whatever the hell. Money like, velocity. Germany said so. <laughs> That's nuts. That's insane. The reason for it is that they are completely losing control of their currency. But have whatever they have lost control. Perhaps you of should have currency. joined the euro if controlling your currency was a priority. <laughs> but yeah, Greece is Greece has a problem. Eastern and Southern Europe ha, are have a uh, are looked down at by the strongest economies in Europe, the the kind of northwestern economies of like France, the Netherlands, Germany. Belgium, the UK. Romania still uses, like, yeah, the lay. Uh, yeah. It's complete shit coin. Oh, it's all the... <laughs> Just a quick thing. It's it's a VAT tax bullshit. Oh, value people, added. People are getting around the VAT tax by <laughs> using cash. So if they do it electronically, they can't do it. So they expect more revenue by screwing people for being productive. It's crazy just that they would tell you you had to spend 30 percent of your income in the first place and what if someone just wants wow. to save yeah. <laughs> yeah why would you want to do that though i don't know yeah, maybe 30, you're a bitcoiner 30 percent across the board like it doesn't maybe matter how much money you make it's like 30 percent. maybe it's maybe this is just a shitty headline maybe it's um maybe it's 30 percent of their expenditure it does say income 
but I can't get, uh, I'm not seeing anything that specifically. 30% of your income, that, yeah, that is insane. That means like and, you save 80% of your income. In like, America, ah, ah, tax. I'll get a $400 bonus for opening a checking account. <laughs> and a toaster come to Come to America, Greeks. <laughs> so there are a bunch of companies that accept Tether. There's apparently a, um API. You can connect to it. People are building apps. You can buy pot uh, with Tether. <laughs> That is awesome. I'm telling and, you, this I'm about to BTC pays over my tether. Tether over Lightning is going to be the new payments thing. I know no, you guys you are going to hate I'm me, but that's my call. I'm going to delete no. this part of the audio so it never no, gets out wait, there. I don't know how it works. <laughs> just send it around. I guess you're right. It's just a, yeah, how is it secured? It's just a Bitfinex. Blockchain. It's Bitfinex. Runs it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's backed by the power of Bitfinex. It's the Bitfinex database. Yeah. 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 Just trust us. It's probably more trustworthy than U.S. bank. Database. It's a thing though. Bitfinex goes under. You're not going to get anything out of it. But <laughs> you know what? What? What were you going to get out of the U.S. dollar? Anyway, Tether is built run. on the Omni protocol, which is a Litecoin protocol. Um, oh, it's yeah, not. Right. It was originally built on Omni. Changed. It is not running on Omni anymore. I can't remember what it moved to. Um, but that was that was one of those things. There's actually a, a episode of the show. I don't. I don't remember what the hell episode it was. But um, I talked about that because. Omni was used to be Mastercoin, I think, um, but uh, Omni was like a great example of something was an applications platform blockchain that arguably was the most successful of any out there. Like, like you could not have a more successful altcoin than one that created a stable coin and did tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in volume, like on the on, on its actual chain, and yet Omni the token was worth nothing like absolutely nothing like, like and it, it just kind of shows that the monetary aspect of the network is completely arbitrary if you're it's not an applications platform i mean um, why anyway, why are we stuff. so jazzed on these stable coins and not die are you excited about the ethereum version of this that they're very excited about i don't really know much about die i don't know how it works um so i, I don't know what it's back by like like it's really easy to point at Bitfinex and be like okay like if they go under my tether's not worth anything but as long as Bitfinex is okay I've got tether it's called die is it actually a company no, <laughs> no I'm, just, no, I'm it's being called serious. die I mean that's why it's no kinda... one's interested in it <laughs> it's called die <laughs> so I I don't want to no, misrepresent no. um I'm not interested in tether more than I'm interested in like Venmo. You know, it's just it's just a payments technology. That's all it is. I'm not like interested in it for like humanity or even for like an investment or anything yeah, like that. I, I was just imagining instead at my Christmas party, I was like, yeah, I'm getting into stable coins lately, and it's worth that. Yeah. Oh, it's just a digital version of the dollar that's worth exactly a dollar. <laughs> yeah, I, no, <laughs> like, it's there's not. No, there's it's just not no excitement there. There's nothing to talk about. I can arbitrage with other crypto exchange. I don't know. It's just. It seems like a dead end of creativity. Yeah, but I mean, it does allow people to move U.S. dollars um, across borders easily. So I mean, it's it's interesting in that sense. Yeah, but or like, sort of U.S. dollars. But then, what do they store it in next? I don't know. Because that because what's where, how are they going to store their value once they get those dollars? They're just going to leave it in there. They're just, so they're just going to store in dollars instead of Bitcoin and just. Oh, well, I hope not. But most people trust dollars more than they trust Bitcoin. I'm just talking about the average international person. I mean, it's a bad idea, but I think that's what's going to happen. Hmm. Uh, one thing before we leave Tether, um, this guy that came on the On the Brink podcast, 
Dan Matuszewski. 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 Okay. Um, he said that he personally wired like billions of real U.S. dollars to Bitfinex. So like the Tether stuff is real. I thought that was really cool. And also that's just an awesome podcast that I want to promote on the brink. Um, and another thing that that guy Dan said was that there is no premium value for newly mined Bitcoin, which, or at least that's what he said. And he said he's, he'd seen it like all the time and that might have some implications for like smelting or whatever. But I thought that was interesting. How is he, how is he seeing it all the time? So he's just, he did a ton of trading. He was like the head OTC guy for circle. I'd be like the head OTC guy for Coinbase or something like yeah. this. And he saw, you know, fresh Bitcoin and not fresh Bitcoin. And he said he never saw any premium for fresh Bitcoin and all the like billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin trading that he did. So I thought, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he said there's like a common misconception. Yeah. Yeah, he said there. Oh, well, I think Nick Carter made the point that there is no such thing as a taint free Bitcoin because the fees associated with that creation of that Bitcoin in the block are uh, could be tainted. So it's just the idea of uh, again good for, for smelting information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See that 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 in particular though, like with fees, is I don't like. I remember when he actually said that, and I kind of thought that was a little odd because that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because fees are in aggregate and they're not connected to any specific transaction and um, they're, like they're leftovers for you know inputs to outputs and you wouldn't consider that like I would like if I was making any sort of taint measure like that would be the end of it like like that would be the end of the road because I'd just be like okay well like obviously this, this isn't a, isn't a transaction to a miner as an individual this is a fee just brought out to the network unless it's smelting um, but you know, I, I wouldn't consider that connected to like, I'm tracing transaction trees, not a right. fee tree. Like, like but if I, is it, like it wasn't coded. To even break apart fees like that. It wasn't, I don't think it's coded no, where the fee is how you create the new Bitcoin. Like the actual fee transaction itself. Is that like a part of the hashing algorithm that creates the brand new Bitcoin? I don't think so. The, so the fee, no, no, you no, have it's to... Not, it's not brand new Bitcoin, but... Sorry. So you have to write a transaction. And so right now the, the Bitcoin fee is like 12 and a half or the, the minor reward. So of all the fees together add up to 0.1 Bitcoin, you can direct up to 12.6 Bitcoin to anywhere you want. That's where the minor reward will go. So instead of being limited to 12.5, because you haven't included any transactions, you can include up to the total difference between all of these. And to even take a step back, you, so the, the actual miner's fee is the difference between I'm sending this much money to A, anything left over that I haven't said send to A is the fee from my original payment. Yeah, so the fee is like, it's, it's the, like you said, it's the leftover. So like if I send uh, 0.9 Bitcoin to you, and uh, but I had a one Bitcoin UTXO and I just put 0.9 to you. Well, then I've spent a 0.1 in a fee, but it's not like my UT my, my original UTXO to the miner. Like it's just a leftover in the transaction. And when I think of like taint, like the only measurement of like taint is like, okay, 
it's my it's not my word choice, okay? I didn't pick that word. Um, but the only it's a little slurmy. We made some slurmy word slurming. choices. <laughs> but my only measurement is like, is like is it connected to a transaction on the Silk Road? But nobody goes after like let's say I deposited money on the Silk Road and it was like no, and it's like oh, it's a drug dealer or something, and then they caught it. Nobody would go. It's like oh well, which miner did they pay the fee to? Because we got to call them. We got to raid the miners house too it's like well no that's that's got nothing to do with where the like the origination or the transaction of bitcoin itself you know what i mean that's like funny. so so i think of that as like being irrelevant to the whole blockchain analysis thing wow if i was running a mining company though just as i would designate which uh when i gave out my payments to the miners i'd be like and this guy got the last choice all the fees where we sent all the fees to him. These guys got the clean block reward, and the last guy in, he oh, we only paid him fees. If there was anything dirty, just take his. Ours were good. <laughs> Have you guys seen the proof of less work thing? Oh, really? The proof no. of less work? Okay, I, I, we'll we'll bring this up. We'll save this for another episode, um, because this was on the uh, dev the Bitcoin dev mailing list, um, in just like the last couple of days. And it is a really fascinating thing about purposefully giving up the subsidy in exchange. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely screw it up because I only like skimmed through it, and I was like, wait, what? And I was just curious if anybody had read anything or looked about it. So yeah, like, are you you claiming less than the whole minor reward, or you're just not claiming the fees? You're not claiming. You're claiming only the fees, and you're giving up oh. the minor reward in exchange for a a different degree of proof of work being required for it. it it's it's the proposal is supposedly a way to bridge the gap between expecting only fees as the reward and the the end of the subsidy as being the primary source of reward um and uh and, and it's supposedly i don't know some sort of a proposal on how to bridge the gap and incentivize miners to actually start giving up the reward early. Are we printing less Bitcoin overall, or are we just delaying? I think we where would the, be. Okay, so yeah. we're not delaying the twenty-one million the speed of distribution further down the tail. We're just going to nineteen, twenty million total. Uh, in this scenario, if something like that got adopted, that's what it seems like would be the case because it's all based on block height anyway, and this would be included as a block. Sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. <laughs> It sounds like a very initially, interesting idea. Yeah, I'm very yeah. interested as to like what they think, and it's, it's it seems like such a sucker's bet. You know, maybe, you're the first maybe. guy. You just don't take the reward, and we'll all stop taking the reward right after you don't take it. Well, the idea somehow <laughs> is that. See, I don't even know how this could be like. Like, it seems like this would have to be a hard fork. It's, but it's the idea that they're going to take less cost. Like, there's less work for them to do involved if. They accept giving up the reward. This is so a, I don't I don't know how you, this is I don't a, know how they manage that. It's a prisoner's dilemma setup, and have they got the game theory right? <laughs> because it's probably they. I, I just thought they could possibly do that. Where it's so yeah, much simpler just to take the reward. Why mess with it? I kind of felt it was bad when you said less work, and we're talking about it's Bitcoin. <laughs> I think we, like I think we need to table this until we really, we, we really know. It. It's a great tease. This proof of less work. We're all <laughs> yes. interested in working less and getting paid more. <laughs> wow. 
sounds like a name a committee came up with. Just, yeah. I feel like I want to throw that out there. Some, sometimes the names, the, the developers are cr- horrible coming up with names sometimes. Some of the names of the stuff is like just the absolute worst. What's on the list, Steve? I feel like we need to pivot. Well, we I need, we need some fresh blood in this conversation. This might be a little bit fresh, but I'm kind of looking for someone that knows more about this than I did. So, uh, Justin Sun apparently bought Poloniex from Circle, and there was some drama going down between uh, Tron and Digibyte. Anybody uh, know that story better than I do? I didn't know about the. Um the contract that was executed between uh, Justin's son and Poloniex was for a Lowe's 10% coupon and a calloused hand job. <laughs> Do people still use Poloniex? Exactly. <laughs> I had to take my money off. It was sad. I was yeah. sad when I had to shut down my polo. Yeah, I had to take mine off polo too. I, I think I the, the the nature of, of this is a beef between, is that the term? Like a dispute, a beef? Um, everyone's nodding yes. It doesn't bode well for a podcast that we're getting <laughs> nods. But um, some kind of dispute between the Tron fools and the Digibyte clowns. And um, their CEOs were, were beefing over whose shitcoin was, was the best. And um, the chief shitcoiner in charge of Tron is now the owner and CEO of Poloniex. Straight up... Um, boofed on digibyte is i think that's a technical legal term um and boofed them by delisting them to say what's up with you yeah that's 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 what this looks like i'm uh looking at a little thing right now is that they went back and forth on twitter um just basically bitching about each other and within a couple of hours uh justin was they delisted digibyte on uh, on the uh, exchange says tired of this bullshit in this industry i haven't dedicated the last eight years of my life to sit idly by and watch blockchain tech be hijacked by a bunch of crooks like justin sun and cz binance the time has come uh jared Ooh. tate and uh and then uh not what too CZ long binance have to do with that not too long again <laughs> i don't know wow um, after careful review, we decided Digibyte is not qualified per our <laughs> listing standard. We will delist Digibyte soon. Details to be announced. You know, it's funny that exchange owners have this much power. Because didn't we have an issue? It didn't escalate to this level. But, you know, Roger Ver, right? He owned, like, um, the Bitcoin.com site, which I guess was, like, a, an exchange of some sort. And he, like, tricked people into, like, buying Bitcoin cash by, I guess calling it Bitcoin, and then it was like Bitcoin Core was, you know, the actual uh, for Bitcoin. But if you go on the exchange, you're buying, you thought you were buying Bitcoin, but you're really buying Bitcoin Cash. My my most favored um, quote as a lawyer is, is after careful review, because you know, <laughs> there's nothing careful about it. <laughs> it's just a shit show. <laughs> I think this is like one of those perfect things that just shines a light that just because you have the instructions in your code that maybe you have a decentralized shitcoin is that no, you don't like, no, you don't. If the founder of Tron and the founder of Digibyte get in a pissy fit on Twitter and it completely screws your whole market for your coin then, you know, nobody's going to get mad about Satoshi tweeting at him being a jackass. Like, 
having a founder and having what looks like, even if it's just for show, what looks like a centralized institution that's running the thing and that everybody is just listening to for, oh, we're going to hard fork next week or, oh, we're going to do this and this is the future of our protocol and this is the roadmap and all this crap. If there is even the perception of that is that, I, I don't know, you, you're not you're not decentralized. Like, I think Justin Sun sells unauthorized securities to U.S. consumers. And she, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's just straight up like a, I don't know. No, why is he allowed to buy an exchange? Why is no one going after him very hard? It's kind of upsetting. It kind of shows that the the regulators aren't going after. I don't know that there's such selective enforcement. Yeah, I'm the the regulators. I don't I don't know if it's like, are they just kind of asleep at the wheel here? Do they have no idea what to do? Um, like, I mean, as far as like this Tron Digital, like personally, I don't really, I don't give a shit, you know. But like, I'm really curious. Like, why are they going so hard after like three people, and then everybody else is just? Are they just? Are they just so incompetent that they can't get anything done? Who, who are the three people? No, I don't know. It's like okay. they, they've, they've prosecuted <laughs> the two developers. No, literally though, there is like a handful of uh, people that have been prosecuted, and like development groups and founders that have been prosecuted. But then there's like a thousand, like complete garbage, obvious crap projects that are just still running along and not doing anything. Unless unless they've been submitted subpoenas in private and just nobody's shared it jared are some of these people too well funded to go after is that what's happening that you what is what like what's the ratio of tron has this much dollars to spend on lawyers the attorney general has this much so there's not even a point of bringing a case so i, th- I think you can't underestimate how long it takes for a case to be um developed and for something to be investigated there are so many other companies that are so so I, I guess the the, US, uh, the best way to explain this is is a quote from someone in my office. The um, the AUSA is the Attorney General's office. They go after the alligators closest to the boat, and they okay. they are more concerned with the people that are actual hardcore scammers that are blatantly violating the law. And what you don't want to do as a district attorney or assistant district attorney is prosecute a case where you stand a chance to lose because you're judged on your track record of convictions. So if you've got a case that may skirt the law or may walk across a gray line very carefully, very very delicately, you're going to have to piss someone off somewhere to gain enough attention that they're going to come at you over something else. Okay. I have a question. That makes can, sense, too, honestly. Yeah. Can the regulators go after companies based in other countries? Yeah, that, that happens fairly regularly. It also depends on the number of minimum contacts they have with the United States. Um, and whether they're U.S. citizens. Do yeah. other companies, sorry, like would overseas, like let's say this is a Polonix thing Poloniex is based in Bermuda. So it was oh, moved okay. to Bermuda this summer. So that's like a, yeah. <laughs> Isn't Justin Sun a U.S. citizen? I don't know. I, 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 I could have sworn that was the case, but I don't know. I got a question though. Does that happen in the other way around? Like, like I know U.S. goes after companies in other countries all the time. Like that, I'm fully aware of. But does like Russia come in and like get pissed at Apple? You know, like yeah, does any of that happen in the yeah, reverse? I don't know anything about that, and I'm sure that may happen with with uh, countries that we have better 
treaties with. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of U.S. laws that govern how we do business with foreign governments and foreign companies. Okay. So the anti-foreign government, anti-foreign corruption, something, Antifa. something. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Nope, that's not the one. Uh, nope, nope, not, not, Acronyms, not this podcast. Um, okay, Boomer. Uh, <laughs> but the, there are laws that prohibit U.S. citizens from bribing uh, foreign companies and foreign governments. And you can get prosecuted in the U.S. for violating a law of another country. Okay. Um, I've got a, a good uh, joke in our household about that. Someone in my family did business um that way many many moons ago and i often bring that up to kind of rub salt in the wound um so, just a just a reminder nice sometimes family you, yeah you just got to let them know that hey i remember when i was uh when i was eight how you did business um <laughs> and how that went down but no i i don't know of any foreign governments prosecuting um u.s citizens i imagine it does happen yeah um but probably not in u.s courts and you have to remember as well that The Hague has got a variety of different treaties and requirements for how you uh, effectuate service on foreign nationals or on U.S. citizens overseas. Um, servicemen overseas get treated differently. I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, plethora of rules and regulations on how you deal with people that are overseas, whether U.S. residents, resident aliens, or non-residents. Um, it's vastly more complicated than this dummy knows the state sees many different classes many that we don't see you know the citizen the non-citizen you're all going to get different levels of justice different levels of what is uh, uh what is torture for you as an individual <laughs> based on your what class you belong to so i I'm, I'm actually interested in talking about this from a different perspective for for a minute maybe this is too lawyerly and and if it is stupid just tell me to shut the hell up and i will but i'm really interested in exploring a new kind of cause of action so where um where you sue someone where there is no law to support what you're doing you argue that the law should be created and the judge should interpret the law in a particular way how it hasn't been interpreted before so i'm really intrigued at the idea that people should be digibyte holders should be permitted to sue justin's son for devaluing their assets because he unilaterally and arbitrary and capriciously delisted it without sound justification for doing that uh harmed an asset simply because it is speculative in nature and by knowing that it would go down in value by by being delisted from such a big exchange. It was that the careful review, though. Well, and it was carefully reviewed. <laughs> well, so, so now that you say that, said it on I, I, uh, I'm going to uh, submit the remainder of my time to you fine gentlemen. I, th I mean, I do think Justin saw... But did anyone put son, it on the blockchain? I That's think in Justin Sun's free time, he does conspire on how to commit securities fraud. And one example <laughs> of his securities <laughs> fraud was... <laughs> Was Tron itself, and yeah. this, this, and another way to commit securities fraud would be to manipulate markets by shut delisting people and doing these other sort of public spats. Um, I, you know, the yeah. So <laughs> I, I say that in jest. One, the two things. Oh, this is a satirical show. I forgot about that. <laughs> I say because the two things you're not allowed to joke around about or use. The, the, the two big areas of, of free speech that are really limited are securities. You can't talk about securities any which way you want 
and you can't commit libel, which was an example of both. But And I know that, and I'm just joking around. <laughs> <laughs> For illustrative purposes. Yeah. Because it's, a, joke, joke. it's important to use speech, even if you're not serious, you know? <laughs> what What are some other areas of free speech? It's basically just those allowed. two, right? Isn't it just libel and securities law? Those are the only ones. I don't even know if the shouting fire in a crowded theater is necessarily still... Uh, a crime. I don't think it is necessary. I don't think you're getting prosecuted. I don't think you're getting prosecuted for the free speech aspect of it. You're not getting in trouble for the words themselves. Yeah. <laughs> what What is the libel thing? Uh, so I can't. I can't say. Uh, I don't even like. I can't well, I, say that you have an STD unless I okay. know it's true. So I, if I said Steve, you you are an absolutely gonorrhea infested <laughs> space age monkey asshole. Oh, if if now if that was true, yeah. that would be an absolute defense to those words. But if it is not true, then I have defamed you, and I'm subject to liability, and that speech is improper. So how about it, Steve? <laughs> oh, it's all true. But it, it, it's, like I said, is this just audience. for like businesses and securities or does it apply to people too? Like you can't because wouldn't that fall under hate speech? I mean, we're getting way away from Bitcoin so, here. So but. this is not definitely not hate speech, but it is considered defamation. But anyone can claim that you're yeah, the most recent, by anything. So the current topic is Elon Musk and the diver during those those kids uh, uh, being under, in the cave. Stuck in the cave. So yeah, yeah it was just... Uh, yeah, right, yeah, Elon yeah. called the guy a pedo guy, a pedo guy on Twitter. <laughs> he, the, the guy what said that, that, again? The, the, that Elon wanted to send over a submarine to help out. Uh, the The guy was I forget what country, trained South, diver. yeah, that trained diver. Right. He said this he is like a stupid, stupid idea. Yeah. You're just grandstanding to get all yeah. these attention. And he's like, and Elon's like, shut up, pedo guy, or whatever. I don't know, yeah. something like that. They just had the court case in California for yeah. defamation, yeah. and uh, but even in that case where it, the, the write ups, the articles that I saw, they seemed to say. It seemed pretty obvious. Yeah, he made this claim that he couldn't support, but the jury found uh, Elon not guilty. So, so if Elon Musk can prove that that gentleman was in fact a pedophile, then then it's a true statement, and he has an absolute defense. This happens all the time, but he, every day. But he did it. He he got out of it some other way, is what yeah. he was sure. saying. If the jury believed that this person was a pedophile, but there's got to be some other no, way. No, that it wasn't. The reason was that it. That he couldn't possibly be serious. Okay. And he was joking. So so there are exceptions to these laws for public figures. Um, and that the scrutiny is lowered if a person is a celebrity who has placed himself in a spotlight. Mm-hmm. So there – and that's North Carolina law. What happens the hell in California? I couldn't tell yeah. you. Now, see, that's one of those things that, like, at some point, it's like how much – how many resources are being expended on a Twitter conversation? And like, I'm like, like, okay, like, let's say that's defamation. Like nobody thinks that Elon Musk has a clue whether or not that person is a pedo. And then at the exact same time, like wouldn't, wouldn't me calling somebody in here just a piece of shit fall under the same category? Like, I can't prove that you're a piece of shit. Like, well, I but that's also pe- opinion. Um, that's a, that's a different, topic calling someone a piece of shit is your opinion about their personality uh, maybe i am call maybe i think you are a physical piece of shit like, <laughs> maybe i think that you are a a tall piece of feces sitting in the chair Let, let's uh, so why is am i not allowed to say like so-and-so beats his wife 
because you're accusing that person of a crime, and that uh, what damages, if I, the, okay. damages their reputation, and by doing so, they could sue for defamation if they're not a domestic abuser. Okay. So the, I have an interesting. I have an interest. Area, oh no, it is. Sometimes I feel I, like I don't like. Okay, it. that makes I, sense. Like like that. Like that would be. I like if somebody reported, it's like a news report that this person is like a a, a freaking like he beats his, this his wife senseless or whatever, and it See, was just made up. It's like, okay, obviously, like there is something there that needs well, to be. So you guys are to. missing a very imp- critical point on this topic of law when it comes to beating wives, and I think that is it has to be acknowledged. <laughs> if the woman was looking into Bitcoin, there is a a an immunity. That is granted by the, the courts at the highest levels. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I, I promoted this. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I made this law happen. Okay. Just joking, of course. So, so I actually have an interesting. Th- I'm sorry, wait, but I feel like I got to throw this out. Um, Elon Musk has an excellent defense. If he just said the word "pedo," uh, he's the pedo guy. Maybe he was really into like tracking his steps, and he. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Well, 4D guy. chess. This guy with his <laughs> But I, I feel all over the place, just I, walking everywhere. I feel I should be able to look at a picture of a guy on the internet, uh, assess the man's face, <laughs> and say this man beats his wife with no other information. <laughs> that I think that is fair speech. Is, it's valid. You know what I'm commenting on. <laughs> I'm looking at that guy's that face point. and be like, this guy beats his wife. <laughs> Who agrees? Retweet. <laughs> so are you saying that this guy looks like he beats his wife or you're making a declaratory statement that this person actually beats his wife? Based on the shape of his face, he beats his wife. I don't think... When, I, I, when I say this guy beats his wife... It's not important to me whether he's actually done the act or not. In his heart, he beats his wife every night. And that's what I'm talking about. The fact that he's able to physically restrain himself from what he is desirous of doing. internal intent. But here, here's that's, that's good comedy, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't say this guy looks like he beats his wife. You, you let the audience interpret that say this guy beats his wife, right? It's like, come on. That's good comedy. Uh, uh, Serious question, though. In this defamation law, does there have to be some kind of audience? Yeah. And is there there a number? Has to be a large audience or something? So if I am in a private room with you, like this casting couch room right now, and it's just you and I, and I and I called you just right right now, and and I called you, uh, and I said accused you of a crime or accused you of having a sexually transmitted disease, and publication was only to you there is no defamation in north carolina oh. Uh, oh, publication so- is required to have an audience of at least one other person that's not the the intended recipient or not the intended defamed so you could send him very angry letters yes okay. so long as that letter is not opened by anyone else okay wait if somebody and- else opened it but i intended it for them you would have an excellent court case to argue for a judge that you didn't intend for publication. You address the letter to the person. The gotcha. fact that someone else opened his mail because he's not a responsible steward of his own mail would be an excellent yeah. defense. And so it would only cost me a hundred grand to make <laughs> probably one hundred and twenty yeah. for you. Yeah. Depends what's in your letter. So Hunter S. Thompson once accused a presidential candidate of having a mescaline addiction, which he knew for a fact not to be true. So I've always assumed that was fair game for me as well. Why is that what? not allowed? Why My can't? My <laughs> shaking now, yeah. and so, I would like to know. 
So I say this? there are. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up here because it's been a long time since I've studied definition. I just well. want to defame people <laughs> as a hobby, but I need to know who, so, so I can do it in a safe and legal manner. <laughs> so there is um, fences on my definition defamation playground. I mean, you can just say you're joking and everything. You fine. must yeah, prove okay. with a public figure that you <laughs> acted with actual malice and reckless disregard. Uh, to the issues of public concern um, that that you stated about a person who's a public figure. So if it was with actual malice and reckless disregard for the truth, then you would have defamed a public figure. But if it wasn't actual malice and uh, disregard, you just didn't bother investigating very hard and maybe you don't have access to the medical records, you probably get away with it. Now, that's not legal advice. So if there's even like just like half reasonable... It's like, maybe there's evidence or behavior Alex or something. Jones. This, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess Alex That's Jones so has thrown me off. Yeah, I can just say those two words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the whole rest of the explanation I, is filling I will be honest. In the blank, Alex Jones. When I first encountered Alex Jones, it opened my mind <laughs> to perhaps a version of free speech that is actually criminally illegal, <laughs> where you just accuse victims of mass shootings of faking it. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that is very free speech. I didn't even know that was an option. And it expanded, it expanded my worldview of where speech could go. But I'm now learning. So now you're explored, you want to explore further? That it's almost like someone showed me that I could walk into other people's houses and start grabbing shit. And that is actually not cool. So what you're saying is the free speech we have right now is real, really not free speech. Well, you want to turn it up a notch? I, well, I just think you should be able to say things that are false because you are a human being and that's how we communicate and sometimes that's, that's that we speech. shouldn't be have inquisitions about uh, yeah say whatever you want yeah. you shouldn't be able to get violently punished for saying whatever you want this isn't the spanish inquisition <laughs> i don't need to prove yeah. to you what i meant when i said something i'm just allowed to say what i whatever i want i love how the world is like like clamping down on free speech and wade wants to put this shit in the other direction <laughs> <laughs> wade's like where's my fences on my defamation playground i i someone has to fight to to try to win the trench warfare there uh we are doing say in here? Uh, yeah i mean we should definitely stop calling it free speech then in those terms, That's right? Good this point. is moderated speech. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Judicially moderated not speech. Can you right. prove to a judge that well, this speech is cool? You know? So, so I mean, the idea of freedom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm slowly just giving up the will to have this conversation. Um, but the rationale behind why you can't just permit people to say this kind of stuff um is is that there is a harm caused to someone else's reputation if you say something that is untrue um in this hypothetical that you accused me of having uh gonorrhea of the upper lip um that is not true um and so here's when you publish that on the podcast that's got a hundred thousand listeners versus a podcast that's got two listeners um my rep 38 38, (laughs) boom bitches um but yeah, I mean, how many moms are listening? How many of our moms are? Oh, I actually wouldn't let my mom listen to this. Um, but my reputation is harmed because what you've said is is patently untrue. Someone would think less of me. Is it just Here's- the fact that it, it I've caused harm? So that, as you know, you guys have heard of ag gag laws. So you can go into a, a factory farm and record animals, you know, in terrible conditions. It's then illegal, apparently, to come and release. What has actually happened to these animals to a general public? You can that is officially or can be a crime that can be prosecuted, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You, have you guys heard about this? Mm-hmm. Look in the ag gag laws. It's messed Sounds up. Right. That is that a state law or? Uh, I, I think it is probably a state by state type situation where farm lobbies get it passed. My my kind of the problem that I have with this is that like I can't establish it back to a like a fundamental principle. Like it makes sense to me that it would be ethically like wrong to like you know for me to defame you like and like ruin your reputation over something that i totally just made up and maybe even i have like unbelievable details it seems perfectly reasonable that you're allowed to come back at me in some way but then as soon as you start calling it a crime i'm asking what's being stolen and oh, you don't think anyone's saying it's a crime we're talking about civil liability here oh, if I wasn't, oh, that's okay if okay. i wouldn't make that clear earlier oh, we're talking about civil liability but, that but there are difference. due process elements that that are the same due process elements that you would get from a criminal crime that are being affected my my property gotcha. interests in my in my reputation are being violated when you defame me um criminal my issue with that it, is that like i feel like your reputation isn't something that you own. Like your reputation is what everyone else thinks about you, which you don't really have control over. To some degree you do because you you decide how you respond to it, but it's someone else's opinion. Yeah, so you would have to hire an economist to prove that to a jury. Okay. Yeah. So there are certain things that are crimes uh, from a speech perspective. Um it, this is going to sound like it's talking, but it's this is what I'm about to say. It's actually not about speech. Uh, criminal conversation is a heart bomb action in North Carolina. Um, being induced. So if if Wade started texting um, Raleigh's uh, Maxim, uh, what is the TJ Maximalist? What what do we say that is? And you start, Wade, if you started texting my wife and you're like, "What's up with your baby?" I got I've got six point one five Bitcoin, and Jared already has point six one five. Where you act girlfriend um and your decimal point (laughs) yeah i'll show you my decimal points um and you convince my wife to have an affair with you because of your you've stacked so many sats i could sue you for that um that affair starting with the convincing my wife to commit adultery is that a north carolina specific thing that is a north so north carolina's got very strong hot bomb actions um, what is that called again? Denial of affection or something? Uh, alienation of affection yeah, is a component. Um, but that's, yeah. I think it's criminal conversation. I'm not a family law lawyer. Um, but there, I believe there is a criminal component to some of these heart bomb actions. Don't quote me on that because I don't practice it. But I don't know about the civil components since I don't practice criminal law. Hmm. Criminal law sucks. In all of this context, and we've got like the history of cryptography being like tested on... The judicial, and I think did it go? Something went the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken, during during the period of like the 90s or whatever. Um, but that code is speech. That you know, the second you print something out on a piece of paper or you memorize it or whatever, like how do y'all think Bitcoin plays in this? Because Bitcoin is virtual in the full sense of the word. You know, like it's it's a virtual environment set with virtual incentives of a set of rules that are being declared by people's computers and it is executed in code like obviously at least in my opinion it's not going to be treated that way legally 
But is there a defense there? I think you can write to it like there's no prior restraint, but maybe they could punish you afterwards for what you wrote, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, doesn't this get back to that issue when they try to put cryptography on the munitions list? Yes, that's what I was meaning. When I was talking about the 90s, yeah. And then somebody uh, put it on a T-shirt and then... So... No, who was it? Who was it? Was it Adam Back? Yeah. It was Adam Back. Adam Back did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody printed on a T-shirt, the munitions T-shirt or whatever, and after being like a big kind of battle for a number of years, it was finally finally declared speech because you know obviously how could you control that you write it on a piece of paper but you can essentially do the same thing with a bitcoin transaction you can do the same thing with bitcoin ownership like a you know mnemonic like like bitcoin is speech like when you break it down and like i wonder if that if that's going to be on the floor of some really important court at some point i've always thought and i've never thought about it from that angle but i've always thought about one's ability to make a transaction is more oriented towards free speech yeah my ability to go and send you money um and we've brought this up on a variety of different uh, medium but my ability to not accept a bitcoin transaction i should have the ability to not speak that is my freedom of of speech is to not speak um, sometimes it's a really fucking smart move in my house mm-hmm. is to not speak <laughs> when my wife says something um but yeah i think that's i think a, a, a critical flaw in, in i think it's the only flaw that i've ever been able to find and that's even kind of philosophical of, in the bitcoin network do you think um if this virgil griffith guy had just written down money laundering instructions to send them to north korea it would be fine that's a good question well i mean that the whole problem with him was just him asking for permission and them him yeah and then them saying no and then him doing it anyway so mm-hmm. I, I think that but that's kind of a different issue. The uh, the freedom of speech thing. Um, do you follow Beauty on? Have you read some of his I've articles? Read, I've read his article on the show. Yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah, so Beauty on's that's his whole thing. He's just like, sorry, code is speech. I the, think it's it's just like Bitcoin is speech or something. Yeah, he's like or, this. No, America can't regulate Bitcoin. That's right. The name of the article. Yeah. So he's like, America cannot regulate Bitcoin without going into very serious things about freedom of speech. And ever since that munitions episode where the Supreme Court ruled for cryptography as free speech, like they'd have to, they have a real they'd have to overturn a serious so thing it, about. Mal, would it malware be free speech? That's a great point. No, but this is where I think uh, where things get lost. That assumes or or that presumes that there hasn't been millennia, maybe not centuries of interpretation case law on what free speech is and what it isn't um intermediate scrutiny strict scrutiny rational scrutiny all of the different cases or and all the various different courts and all the different various circuits have all interpreted speech we've got hundreds and thousands of cases that have interpreted what free speech is that is the most analyzed area of the law there are people that are just First Amendment scholars that do nothing but free speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think the one of the most famous is Erwin Chemerinsky, who wrote the, the, the fucking book. Um, like, those guys have made a career as academics, don't hate them too much for that, talking about nothing but this issue. And 
to say that, oh, they've got a real problem on their hands. I think they just have to apply Bitcoin to the current model of what they understand free speech to be. No, I just mean it that Bitcoin is kind of a wild card. I don't think it is. I think they've they've got a model to apply this to. But they want to – I think there's going to be like a competing thing because I think the model says that it's speech. Like like if you look at it technically, like what it is, it is speech. I think Budion's right is that like we're just talking about sending bits back and forth. And but it holds actual value in the market. So there's going to be SEC, FinCEN, like all these institutions are going to want to say, no, it's not speech, it's money. And it falls under all the ridiculous restrictions and regulations of money. And people are even treating it like money. But it is money based entirely upon just a set of bits. Like well, it's just the, speech. And so they're going to apply a standard like, is there a compelling governmental interest to treat it? as a certain thing and they're going to say yes and they're just gonna do it yeah i i mean i'm i'm, I'm not trying to take away from no, I, the I, excellent I, point that's that what you're my making. guess is, is what's i, I happen, just i just but. don't see anything complicated about the analysis if they want to say that bitcoin's a security they're gonna say it's a security and they're gonna have a basis for it but someone's gonna have to come along and then fight the good fight to prove that it's not mm-hmm. you know you have the executive branch creating laws you've yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're not really creating laws. You've got the legislative body that should be doing it. But these administrative agencies like, like you're describing that are dealing with securities are really taking agency action and writing um, uh, agency um, – what is it called of the federal courts? Jesus, I used to know this. But they're, they're basically creating rules and regulations for how this gets governed at their level. So they're acting as a quasi-legislative branch for interpreting the, the scope and – the, the the file of their perspective of what they can do to comply with the federal acts that mm-hmm. have been handed down. So they get given a ton of leeway to do anything that is permissible within that window that is granted to them. And so I think Bitcoin's going to fall squarely into whatever the hell they say it is until someone can fight and pay enough money to prove that it's not. And they're going to have to have a constitutional argument then. Do you not think the that'll happen? Around. Uh, it depends what the issue is. It depends what they try to ascribe to it. Um, I think right now they're they're treating it like they, they can't make up their mind. Each agency says it's a property or says it's a money or says it's a security, depending on what's most favorable to them. I don't think we're going to get an answer in the next decade. Hmm. I mean, that's that would be. I mean, a very clear cut across all of the um, administrative agencies with clearly defined case law. I mean, in Wake County, I've got a case that's been going on since January 2nd of 2012. And that's Wake County Superior Court. Think about what's going to happen when it's a multi-billion dollar, you know, asset class. Trillion dollar, sorry, sorry. I get my, I got my, I get really bad speech impediment. I get my T's and B's mixed up sometimes. Do you think that works in our favor or against us? I think for right now, for stacking sats, where we get to mess with things like the Fold app, which I'm beginning to believe is incredibly sketchy. Um, the whole gift card industry, everything about gift cards is so beautifully and wonderfully sketchy. No. Oh my god, it's being used as arbitrage um, for it's, from Venezuela. It's how they're getting it's how they're getting U.S. dollars, and it's how they're uh, they're using Bitcoin to actually funnel the the whole market. I, I'm willing to say that the Venn diagram of um, criminal activity is very closely fit to how many gift cards you have in your wallet. Go ahead and pull out your wallets, fellas. <laughs> Does this include the Fold app? 
Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I so um if you if you haven't heard of um Eat the Rich uh, instead of the they use DA yeah. apparently a thing. Um it's a website where you can <laughs> yeah, the interwebs. Um <laughs> from googles um you can uh with bitcoin buy uh actual merchandise from people that have used using used um stolen credit cards and stolen gift cards to buy the merchandise so if you wanted to buy i don't know something oddly specific like playstation virtual reality headset because that's cool um and you went on that site and you sent them bitcoin they've used a stolen credit card or gift card to send that to you and so they got raided and shut down pretty quick after someone started doing some digging. But gift cards are an incredibly sketchy industry, and they move a crap ton of money, more than Bitcoin currently. Oh, damn. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah gift, card <laughs> gift cards, and it's imaginary money as well. It's all made right. up, and the points don't matter. Kind of like whose line is it anyway. <laughs> yeah, what time do you guys usually stay here? Oh, yeah, we're at... Two yeah, hours. we're yeah, we, uh, two hours. All right. Yeah, yeah, we should probably wrap it up. Um, anybody want to do any final worlds? I mean, do you guys want to say anything about like what you're working on or anything like that? As uh, or have we gotten too far for that? <laughs> I'll still plug my stuff in. <laughs> I say we got plenty of time. We're good. Uh, so yeah, I'm working on Bitmetrics. Uh, io. The site's not up, so don't look it up. Uh, but do plan to see it out uh, next year, um, January time frame. Uh, just a quick pitch on what it does. I mean, if you're trading, uh, doing you know swing trades or you know quick uh, high frequency trading, um, it's basically going to be a tool that will allow you to supplement your trading data, so your order books and all that stuff, with actual social signals and metrics. So, I mean, if you're looking at Bitcoin and the price is going up today and you see that you know, Trump also sent out a tweet and Twitter's activity is just through the roof compared to yesterday. You know, maybe that's a leading indicator for you to, you know, buy some Bitcoin earlier. Right. So, um, you know, I've seen some good, you know, patterns already and I'm ready to release it out to the wild pretty soon. So, you know, so but that's it. Bit, oh, yeah. Metrics.io. Be on the lookout. Um, I got Crypto Economy podcasts per usual. I've um, got a lot of audiobooks hitting right now and others soon. Uh, just a uh, little Bitcoin book. Audiobook is out on Audible. Uh, uh, Knutz von Holmes, which is available for free on the show. Uh, Crypto Economy, Guy Swan, what's up? Um, uh, in five episodes, but that's Bitcoin Sovereignty Through Mathematics. But that will also be on Audible soon. And I just started today Jan's Inventing Bitcoin. Uh, Jan Pritzker's. Uh, yeah, so uh, that one's, that, I'm really excited about. Is that going to be an Audible? Yeah, it's going to be an Audible. Yeah. yeah. So, and I may have another one uh, right around the corner. So I uh, haven't settled that one. But yeah, lots of exciting stuff, crypto economy. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to Justin's son. Um, it wasn't personal. This is a satirical show. Um, and, yeah, I, I always and, consider myself a Francis Bacon type, talking about eating Irish babies, you know? <laughs> I Which don't even true. know I, what that I, means, <laughs> but, but I'm a huge, huge fan, Mr. Sun. I, I didn't mention that earlier. Dude, Massive I, fan. Biggest fan you know. Huge. I have to also say, since Bootstrap Bandit is here, that uh, I had not touched paywall.link in like 
uh, I don't know, like three or four weeks or something, and I uh, kept getting emails of people doing the holiday calendar or whatever on the website. And, oh, they um, buy and it? I just went up there, and there's a lot of new stuff, and it looks awesome since the last time I've seen it. So, hell yeah on the... Did you take your money out? I did, uh, not all of it, but yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> Too many people are keeping their money in there. No, I, I, don't, <laughs> I only leave like... I mean, I, I don't... I, I sell the, the calendar for like 92 cent or something like that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't... No, it was like 30,000 sat or something. No, it's it was like two thousand sats, but like, I don't know how people... Like the last oh, two people... I relisted it at a higher 000. price to tell them it was a better calendar. So no, because with price... No, I did have no, a you, you price, you price the calendar in like March or April. No, I've got one that's 10,000 sats now. Oh, oh a new one? But I... Somehow, because we originally did it when Bitcoin's at like 4k. Yes, it was. It was <laughs> that other one was higher. That other one was yeah. definitely higher. And I think somebody paid the old one, but I don't know how or where. I, I I've bought one of those calendars, but I did it on someone else's <laughs> phone, and I never got it. So I mean, just just <laughs> I'll send it to you. No, no, it's, it's all free. good. No, I'm kind of I'm kind of opposed to everything you do now because of that. I understand. I'm just I'm just rioting. Boycotting. I did that on purpose. In, and eating Irish babies, whatever that is. That was means. Jonathan Swift. I apologize. <laughs> but um, the I was going to leave with a Paul Volcker quote. Uh, he was a Fed Reserve chairman. And uh, so he was. He did not actually like innovative financial products that came out during his lifetime. And I'm going to say that he didn't understand or know what Bitcoin is. So I'm gonna, not going to hold it against him for this quote. But he said, mm-hmm. the last useful financial innovation was the ATM. And I think he might be right, you know, yeah. that actually saved time, and saved work. You know how the workers. ATM started or why it started? No. Was so that like drug dealers and prostitutes didn't actually have to talk to bankers. Yeah. That is good to know. I didn't. <laughs> so they're like, all right, like, I don't know, some, I don't really know. You should check that and make sure. It's probably like Wikipedia or something. <laughs> but I think that's where they came. They started like putting stuff like outside, like, you know, like, so you didn't have to actually, they didn't want to like talk to people, you know? And so it kind of like was an automated way to do that. And then now, like I was saying before, it's like people forget that nobody thinks about that anymore. People just use the ATM, you know? Uh, I'll mention that we're thinking about doing a uh, Bitcoin birthday party uh, January 5th. Sunday at uh, Crafty Bar in Raleigh at 7 p.m. If um, that's stepping on anybody's toes, then uh, let me know. If you're in Raleigh, uh, come years, out. Right? 11 years. 2020. Yeah. Lump in New Year's party, too. Just roll yeah. it all in. Roll it all in. Make sure to email straightslurman at gmail.com <laughs> for your feedback. We are we are pro libel and other slanders on this, and we'll read anything you send us out loud. <laughs> <laughs> the freer the speech, the better. Yeah. <laughs> Even better is if you could draw something libelous. <laughs> <laughs> and we will describe it draw like something. charades. All right. Anything else? Anybody else? All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week.